Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have got another special podcast for you today. It is my man Tyson Apostle, Survivor Champion from 2013. He's been on several times that show. We're going to get to hear a lot about that poker and more. Tyson, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I mean, as well as anybody can be doing in these weird times, we're uh, quite blessed and have been safe and happy and healthy. And apart from a little bit of cabin fever, we're doing good. How about you? I'm good, man. Same thing again, sort of my, my overall day to day doesn't change too much. If anything, poker and just the, the content sort of ramped up and, you know, I almost feel bad saying that where it's like, for me, it doesn't really impact me. Uh, and if anything more, I feel more focused and motivated and like in, in, in a one place, you know, not traveling as much and just, just dialed in, but yeah, crazy times. And, uh, you know, it's just a crazy time. What are we going to say? It's different. The world is different. We're going to cover that. I want to talk about you. I have so many questions, so many things. Poker, we'll, we'll try to leave a little time for, but uh, first and foremost, tell us who you are, where you come from, um, and, and sort of what, what's your, uh, you know, you're, you're growing up. Uh, you, you, I think you were born in Utah. I believe raised Mormon. Just give me a little bit of your sort of upbringing and, and what got you uh, into your, your, your sort of, give me your, your, give me your life story in a few minutes, Tyson. That's what I'm trying life to say. Life story in a few minutes? Yes. Okay. Uh, I grew up uh, in Utah like this center of Mormon, grew up Mormon, born and raised, like typical, stereotypical Mormon upbringing. Uh, Swam throughout my life, raced mountain bikes growing up and uh, played a bunch of other sports. But those were the two because those were the ones my parents pretty much pushed me into. You know, those were the ones that they took interest in. So I just gravitated towards those. Um, Was one of the top junior mountain bikers in the country under 18 and uh, did some World Cup racing and stuff at that age as well. And then swam in college for a year, went on a Mormon mission to the Philippines for two years, learned to speak Tagalog, uh, came back, didn't want to swim, didn't want to go to school, uh, went back to cycling, but became a road cyclist, moved to Europe, raced three years amateur, three years professional in Europe. And uh then I just got sick of it. I just, my body was like tired and I was mentally burned out on it as well. Moved back to the U.S. My dad, a survivor, super fan, encouraged me to try out for the show because I was just a bum and I had time and energy and he thought I'd be good at it. And so I sent them an audition tape just like as a joke, not even really thinking I hear back from them. And uh, I think that attitude is actually what helped me get on the show is the fact that I just treated it like a joke. And then uh, from there, Survivor opened a bunch of doors. It opened poker, uh, got involved with Run It Up Reno with Jason Somerville, started playing a bunch more poker. And uh, now I'm here, been on the show four times survivor and uh played a bunch of poker uh some big tournaments went to the pspc uh pspc last year or two years ago now in the bahamas and got into pickleball uh sick of running sick of riding sick of swimming and pickleball is my new uh form of exercise and activity and i love it and that's uh other than that family life married two small girls a five-year-old and a two-year-old and uh, i get to spend uh, I love it. You cut, you cut out your mic. Also, 
Your Did mic's coming not a bit. It, can you? Is it choppy? Can you hear me clearly? You're you're having a bit of uh, it's a bit choppy. I don't know if you can hear me. I hope that's I don't know if that's your end or mine. Tyson, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. It was just it was a bit choppy towards the end, but I could I could hear your mic was cutting in and out a bit. So, well, when I say your life story, I want to give a little just background on that, and that's great because all these things we could spend uh, a lot of time on is super interesting. But let's let's just dive in with. Uh, so, you did get a swimming scholarship. That's that you went to BYU. Yeah. What, what was that like? And and did you know you were such a, a good swimmer growing up, or did it kind of happen fast? Where in middle school, uh, high school, you were like, wow, like you developed, or were you like world class all the way when you first started? No. I wasn't. I was like, I, I think my natural ability is endurance. And so other than that, I'm not like, I wasn't right when I hit the pool, I was fine. I was like average, but I put a lot of work in and probably trained a lot harder than the other guys. And so through high school, I started developing as becoming one of the top tier swimmers in the state of Utah. And, uh, and so that, that, was, I mean, I definitely worked for that. It wasn't something that came naturally to me and cycling kind of the same thing. Like endurance is my superpower. And then I build everything around that. So cycling was the same, like I could ride a bike forever, but I wasn't necessarily the best bike handler or the strongest sprinter or anything like that. But I developed into those things as I put effort into it. And, uh, yeah, so I swam, uh, at BYU, I only swam a year. Then I went on a Mormon mission and came home and, uh, uh, was not interested in swimming anymore. And, and so, and how was, uh, how was that? Like, what was life like as a, a swimmer in, in college? Obviously we've talked about this. One of my very close friends, Michael Phelps, of course, the guy, if you would know, and, and, and of swimming done a few things and, and I, I got to see a, a glimpse at that. And, and I had friends in high school or swimmers, but what was the, what was the biggest jump between swimming in high school and college? Like, what were the schedules? Like, cause it's so much early mornings. Right. And it's a, grind, yeah, it's intense, right? High school was earlier because high school had to be before school. And in college, it was a part, almost a part of your school. That's like the reason you're there. And so uh, the college experience as an athlete, they cater everything around your schedule as an athlete. So, you know, you got to register classes uh, before the rest of the students and you got to do things like that. So we actually uh, in in high school, I swam at five in the morning to seven thirty in the morning every morning before school. And in college, I think we didn't start till like seven or seven thirty. So to me, that was a late wake up. Right. And then, uh, uh, but you put in a lot more miles and a lot more hours uh, in college. I think uh, the two weeks we had between uh, winter semester and spring semester, we did uh, three practices a day swimming in the pool at, at you know ten to twelve thousand yards each session. And then, uh, and then weights and cross training on top of that. And so you were putting in, I, I probably like Wednesday, if you're familiar with NCAA rules, you are with athletics, uh, at that time, I don't know if it's still the case at that time, you were only allowed to, uh, as a, as a coach, you could only make mandatory 20 hours of workout time each week as a collegiate coach. So about Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, the coach would come through and say, Hey guys, just to let you know, we hit our 20 hours this week. Thank you so much for showing up to practices Thursday night, Friday morning, uh, Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, and Saturday afternoon. Those are all uh, just uh, optional practices that I'm really excited for you to all 
come to all of them. So that was pretty much the conversation every Thursday. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What, what was like um, BYU? What was that like as a, as a campus? You know, I think, you know, Mormons, I feel like the, the term Mormon and understanding of what it means. And I actually saw a note where, you know, I think it was survivor. People were, were referencing that you, thank you for showing us in like a great light, or you got a lot of positive feedback, kind of like some, maybe some stigmas or things about uh, if that's true or not. But I, don't, I mean, just give me a little bit of an idea, like what Mormon life is in your, like how you would explain it and maybe some, some misconceptions or what's true. Just kind of give me a little bit of a breakdown of like differences and like, let's take Mormon life at going to BYU. How would that be different than what you understood your friends that were not at another college like Utah or other places? What are some big differences? So BYU has the honor code, which is like the moral rules and obligations you're, you need to follow to be a student at the school, whether you're Mormon or not. And some of those include not uh, having sex uh, and let, until you're married, uh, no drinking, no smoking, no none of that stuff, no coffee, no tea, uh, things like that. And then to enforce some of those rules, like you weren't allowed in like the uh, opposite uh, genders dorms after like 10 p.m. And if you were at someone's dorm, the doors had to be open. There's a lot of like little rules like that. For me, it was still school and I didn't live on campus so it it was, you know, not as strict, but there was that uh, I didn't experience life on a different campus. And I wasn't dead set even growing up Mormon. I wasn't dead set on going to BYU. It was just the school that like came at me with the most support and best offer for swimming and was kind of the easiest decision. And I also didn't necessarily love the idea of going to college in the first place. So the fact that it was easy and they were uh, paying for me to go to school and swim made it an easy decision. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's it's really interesting. And I was so what was it basically? Did you decide once you were there? Was it just like something you weren't super into, or you said you only were there for what one year? Or yeah, I mean, I I don't ever think school was necessarily my path. But after high school, you don't. That's the path that everybody takes. Like go to college and get a degree. And like, even in high school, I remember hearing things like, uh, only 8% of people who start college end up graduating. I'm like, no, it can't be that hard. I'm going to prove that statistic wrong. And then I get there and I'm like, it's not because people can't graduate college. It's because they don't want to. And so for me, uh, I think I had come to the realization I didn't want to swim anymore. And the only reason I was even at school was because of swimming. Right. And if I'm going to stay in school, they're training me to get a career, which I also don't want. And so why am I staying to train? Why am I staying somewhere? I don't want to be to train for something I don't want to do. And so at that point, I just stopped going. That was like within like a week of deciding I didn't want to swim anymore. I dropped out of school too. And how, how, what about family, parents? What was it like? Was it a tough decision? Did you have to talk about it? Did people try to talk you out of it or that was just your path and you knew that was, that was what you, what you wanted to, what you were? Well, because I was swimming and I was on scholarship and stuff, it didn't, I didn't feel like I had, you know, wasted my parents' money or anything like that. Right. And I didn't even tell them initially, I just got a job at a ski resort and was like, I'm going to learn to ski really good this year instead. And, uh, and so for me, it wasn't, and my parents, uh, I think probably had an idea of who I was at that time. And by the time I told them and then had plans and aspirations to move to Europe and become a pro cyclist, they were like, 
I remember having a conversation with my mom and dad and they were like, Hey, uh, we support everybody through school. You did your own thing with swimming and that was awesome. Uh, if you want to become a pro cyclist and you're planning to move to Europe and race to become a pro, that's your school now. So we will support you and help you as much as we can while you're an amateur over there trying to get a professional contract. And so my parents were really, really supportive of me taking my own path and doing something that I loved and preferred over the the typical path, which isn't a bad path. I, you know, it's, it just was not for me. I think that school is definitely important for a lot of people's uh, passions and occupations. Uh, and so that's, uh, yeah. So my parents, yeah, it could have definitely been harder without their love and support, but they, uh, they were good. Okay. Well, I love it. Also, I just put this, this, uh, the tweet out right now, letting people know that we got Tyson live in the flesh. So, uh, you also, if you're here, you can ask a question. We are going to give away $111 party poker ticket at the end. And do I, do I have a chance at winning that? Yes, you are. Okay. You are eligible. Tyson. That is, that <laughs> okay, be, cool. I would actually, if you win it, though, I'll give an additional one just cause like, you know, that would be kind of, uh, that'd be kind of crazy, but you know, you did win survivor and you do, you are kind of an anomaly in general, I think, and what you, what you do and just how you, you go hard at everything. And you know, if you were to win this, I wouldn't be shocked and we'll just double it up. I think that's <laughs> okay. the only fair thing we could do, but I hope I wish you luck on that as well. So you are eligible. You can, you can get your, your, uh, you know, your equity, right? There's about yeah, may as well. 1% might as well try to try to get that done. So we will, we will get that out. And the, the, uh, again, this will be on all the different podcast outlets. Um, happy that we're doing it live and we get to be on YouTube. So, all right, cycling, tell me about cycling. Now what you, 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 you find your passion, you go yeah. to college, you get a scholarship, you know, do you, you decide not for you, you want to cycle. What is this? Give me a time frame on the years. Is this around Lance Armstrong time of like the hype? And this is like, yeah, uh, what year is it? The, the hype and the retirement and the return and the downfall. Wow. And I am, uh, so I grew up, uh, mountain bike racing and I raced as a junior all throughout until college. And it was like a weird time in the nineties where there was so much money in mountain biking right. and schools were starting to give scholarships. Like I think CSU had some cycling program, but for me, I was like mountain biking so new. It's not an Olympic sport yet. I don't think that, that it's really my path, even though I preferred doing it to swimming for some reason, I thought that swimming was going to be the better uh, direction for me in school. And in hindsight, I wish I would have, uh, gone with a mountain biking scholarship or something. But when I quit swimming, uh, all the money as in cycling, uh, or more of the money as more stable income is in road racing. So I switched to road and moved to Europe with my dad's help. Uh, he, he had some connections over there and found a club for me to race with initially. And then, uh, I just had, a bike, two bikes and a suitcase full of clothing. And I got on a plane within a month of deciding I was going to move to Europe and race bikes. And, uh, truth be told, I think I'm past the statute of limitations. I lived illegally in Europe for six years. Jeez. Tyson, I'll make an exclusive break on the pod. Uh, <laughs> I never had a visa or anything. I just was living off my pot, my, uh, my, uh, passport. But so how did that, how does that work though? When you come back, there's no question or there's no, like, they don't really. Not then. It. No. So I moved over there. Uh, I actually got on a flight, uh, November, 2001. And if you remember September, 2001, yeah, November, 
I flew over with like three people on a gigantic airplane. There was nobody on the flight wow. and uh, touched down, had somebody I'd never met pick me up at the airport, take me to an apartment. And uh, from there, I just started like, yeah, just fully immersed in the cycling culture and the cycling world. And uh, and it was, I mean, it was crazy. Like, I don't even know if I'd have the guts to do that now. Like what I did, I, I just left everything, everyone I knew with just bikes and the internet wasn't what it is now back then. Like it was harder to connect with people. You could write emails and stuff, but like doing a face-to-face video call was not happening. And so, uh, yeah, so I pretty much just like on my own raced amateur for a couple of years, worked my way up, uh, would sign with a better team each step that would give me more support. So there was like sponsorship stuff and prize money and things. And then I'd catch like some odd ends, like uh, English jobs where I was either like uh, helping people put things into English or teaching English or, you know, just go even going, I like there was, I was going to dinner parties just to speak English and getting paid a little bit to do stuff really? like that. Yeah. Well, so give me, a, give me a, give me a look at the the landscape of, uh, of money at that point. Like, so when you were, what were you, what was the goal when you boarded that plane? What were the dreams? Were you trying to be Lance Armstrong? Were you going to try to go tour to France? Is it different? What was like the upside? Like what was realistically, is it something you knew would be a grind or did you think you could like pop over there and rip one off? It's not like poker, right? Like it's hard to just like win. It's know, hard. Like, it's you, hard to win. I mean, if you are, but you know what I'm saying like you could ship a tournament and be like and have a basic idea you can't just like hop on a cycle and, and take and down, do that take down yeah. rates. right and i was naturally gifted with endurance and and climbing in general and so for me i, I was like i think i got this you know and uh, but i was naive like i i didn't know much about the drugs in the sport and things like that you hear wind of it um but I knew it was going to be a grind, but I thought that, you know, I can do this. And well, that's a limitation, Tyson. I'm not implying, but speaking of drugs and what happened there. I was always clean. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was I'm always not, clean. In terms of like, was that, is, was that something though, were you seeing a lot of it or did you really not even know this was a thing? Or like, was it like you'd look over and guys were ripping needles and stuff? Oh, we'll get into it. Oh, we'll get into it a little bit. Let me, let me. So we, I got over there. I was racing uh, money wise. My goal, I mean, obviously the dream like like a poker player the dream is you know world series of poker or ship something for five million or something like that and the dream with cycling is you know maybe the tour de france definitely uh but like you know on the world level just to be noticed and seen and then you pretty much have your path carved out and a career made from it you know you win a few stages of a tour de france or you win a world championships or you win uh you know something at the tour of italy or or whatever and then that's big. That's like shipping a huge multi-million dollar tournament. And, uh, so that was there, but also it was just like, I want to make a good living racing bikes and doing something outside and active and something that I excel at and things like that. And, uh, and there was a lot, like I, if I could go back and do it again, there's a lot of things I would change, but I think you looking back at your 20 year old self, the same. Like I went too hard too early as a young cyclist. Like I was putting in so many hours. I was just excited to be there. I was so positive about it that I burned myself out by, you know, overtraining, overworking my body and uh, things like that. Uh, I signed a deal with a, a small team called uh, Volksbank out of Austria and raced with them for three years. 
And, uh, and at that time they'd already have the Festina scandal, which was a huge drug scandal in the nineties drop. And so teams, uh, were no longer most, for the most part, teams were no longer trying to give their writers drugs. The writers had to do that on their own. So in a lot of the contracts, the contracts would be worded as such kind of saying like, if you get caught doing drugs, you're taking the downfall, not the team. We are not in charge of supplying you with anything. And we uh, don't condone the use of drugs. So I, uh, so that was the contract. And, uh, and at that time too, a team like that couldn't afford a drug scandal. So if they got a whiff of anybody doing any drugs that they would try and send that writer off quietly rather than have that writer test positive and then have the team fall apart. So uh, a bigger team that has more money and can do more things is, is a little bit different, but this was a small team. So I, I did see some things like I, you know, there's like secret cutout compartments in refrigerators and storing stuff. There's mini centrifuges. Uh, there's uh, bottles of saline solution to thin down your blood. If you're like, I saw a lot of that stuff and I knew what all of it was for by the end there. So at at some point though, I kind of, uh, even in my mind, I'm, I'm the type of person that even entering a poker tournament, like I'm like, I probably not the most talented poker player here, but I can envision myself winning. And that's how cycling was too. It was like, I'm not doing drugs, but I can still envision myself winning. And I think at the point where I could no longer picture myself winning a bike race because it was too demanding and I was too tired was the point where I had to stop what was uh what was like your best finish or what were some highlights like and and, and what was like talking about like a role on the team because is it yeah like racing like certain guys you kind of like they're, they're you know guys are supposed to win or you're supposed to draft or help guys like correct yeah work so it's a team sport and all the glory goes to the uh team captain the leader and each race somebody can be different uh leading uh or you know you're the team's working for so-and-so. So, uh, if you're like a, uh, one of the team captains or something, then you have your opportunity to win races as a workhorse, which I was hired to be that if you found yourself in a position to win a race, great. But most of the time you were working too hard early on to find yourself in that position. So, uh, most of my role was either helping, uh, helping the team captain get through some tricky spots in the race, wh- whether it was a, up and over some, some hills that were going to be fast or whether or not, uh, whether, or if a small group got away, I would help chase it down or try to make sure I was in a group. And, uh, so that we were represented as a team there. Um, I didn't win any races as a professional and honestly, about 90% of professional writers never win a professional race in their career because they're, workhorses, you know, they're working for a leader. Right. And I, I had some top 10 finishes, uh, in Italy and Switzerland. And, uh, other than that, you know, just being able to race with, I mean, the best of the best, like if you name any top writer from the, you know, from 2000 to 2008, 2009, I have been in a race with that writer. It's so, cool. yeah. So it was like really cool. And like all these people I'm seeing in cycling magazines is the same as poker. Like all these people you see in poker magazines, all of a sudden you're playing poker with them your first time. And that's how cycling felt to me too, at the time. 
And where was Lance? How did that, how did that fit in? Like when would, when did the scandal break out and where was his peak? I forget his, his trajectory. Cause I mean, so Lance's trajectory, I think his first tour was 99. Okay. And uh, then he started winning all the time and he won. Did he win f- uh, five in a row? No, he won. How many did he win? Seven, yeah. seven in a row. So he won seven in a row. And so that would have been brought him to 2006. I raced pro, uh, 2005, 2006, 2007. So I raced kind of when he, he retired and then he came back and that's when all that stuff happened. But I was racing for a small team in Belgium in 2000, let's see, 2002, 2002, I raced in Switzerland, 2003, 2004, I raced in Belgium. And a lot of the guys that worked for the team worked for the U S postal service And they told us some stories. And so already at that time, I was jaded with the whole U.S. Postal Service. And then anytime I'd come back to the U.S., everybody would be like, Lance Armstrong, he's got to be your hero, right? And I was like, "Mm, actually, I don't hear that many good things about him if we're really being honest. And people's minds were blown. They couldn't even like fathom that any of that was happening. So I just didn't talk about it because it was just like... Yeah, What's the point crazy. of having this conversation? It's like trying, it's like yeah. having a religious conversation with somebody who doesn't believe the same thing or a political conversation it was just like Lance is the hero, no matter what. And anything disparaging you say uh, against him, nobody will believe. And right. so it was just like, you know what? Yeah. I don't have anything really to say. And how, how did, how do you think though, that all shook out um, with, uh, with, with like how that, how did that affect the sport? When that news broke, was it was it so so publicly so much press and and stuff that it actually brought excitement to it, or did it just sort of like kill it? Where like people were just like, man, this is like, all right, this guy's doing incredible things. It's crazy, but the sport got kind of looked at negatively. Like this is like a thing where everyone's doing it, and it's kind of like just bad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, part of Armstrong's excuse was that everyone was doing it. You know, and that's what anybody who's doing drugs in that sport is saying that, but that's their justification for it, which is not the case because I wasn't doing it. So what am I in next in line for the Tour de France victories of 99 to 2000? Like there's people that were clean and I can attest to that. I was not the only one clean. Uh, And uh, it did shake the sport pretty hard. But the thing is, is that Armstrong built the sport up so much. And I'm certain that the governing body of cycling helped him cover things up because they were all effectively doubling their audience by having an American be the greatest cyclist at the time, you know? And so for them, like money wise, it's an easy decision to keep this guy around if you can. And so uh, I think he brought way more to the sport than he did damaging it, but it did take a big hit. I mean, a lot of, a lot of countries uh, decided not to air cycling on TV. A lot of teams shut down because sponsors pulled out and it was a tough uh, time, but it's, I, I, I listened to a Freakonomics podcast a while ago on sumo wrestling and how, Uh, There was a big scandal in sumo wrestling where all the top guys were throwing matches to each other because you had to have a certain win percentage to stay in the top tier, which got you a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. And they found it and it blew up and everybody was upset about it. And these guys got like in trouble. But over time, people forget and it reverted back to the same thing. And cycling's on that same trajectory. It's like 
they have to at least appear to be clean or appear to be doing everything they can in their power to keep the sport clean up to, you know, a few years, people forget about it. People get excited about it again. People convince themselves that every writer there or most of them are clean. And then it reverts back to, you know, and it, that's human nature too. It's like everybody wants, you know, that little edge and, they push the line of what's legal and what's not legal and convince themselves that other people are only beating them because they're doing something illegal. So they then convince themselves to do something illegal to get their edge as well. And so I don't fault anybody for that. You know, it wasn't the path for me at the time. I'm older now and looking back on it, you know, I don't know. I, I think for me, I've, I have a good life. I've always had a good life. I've had a supportive and loving family and taking the risk of drugs either that would maybe harm me or also, you know, bring a lot of shame to everyone and disappoint a lot of people. Whereas you're a potato farmer from an Eastern Bloc country who's feeding uh, 70 of your relatives with your paychecks every month. Like there's a little bit that, that guy has more in it than, than someone like me, who's, it's just my dream and my passion. And so, uh, everybody's different. Everybody makes different decisions. And I, I, I can't fault people for doing that. It is disappointing for me. And I do feel like people like Armstrong did take something from me because I was racing clean, but then again, I had the opportunity to cheat and I didn't. And so maybe I'm the fool. I don't know. Yeah, it's well, and uh, you know, I, I guess just thinking about games and you know, you like poker. We've we've met actually, run it up a few times, which we'll want to make sure we cover some. But you know, talking about Survivor, uh, which I, I do want to spend a fair chunk of time on. Obviously, very interesting. You compete. How many is it? Three or four? You've been four. On four different Survivors. That's pretty wild. So uh, I do want to before we get into Survivor and talking about sort of the game aspect and and what's you know within the parameters and what's right and wrong and all that. I want to talk about the the marriage. Uh, boot camp thing. So is it, this came after Survivor, is that right? Or what port is it? Yeah, I'd been on Survivor three times and then I went on marriage boot camp. And I'm not familiar with this show actually, but this is on Good. what network? And is it, it sounds exciting. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's on we network. Okay. We TV. And uh, I mean, we got a call and an offer to go on the show, me and my then girlfriend. Okay. And uh, it's, it was a lot different than Survivor in the fact that it's, it's, it's not scripted, but they do definitely ask you to bring the drama and they do ask you to, you know, act maybe a way that you wouldn't have normally acted just to, you know, get a rise or something like that. And so it was a lot different landscape than what Survivor was. Survivor is pretty much like, hey, Tyson, we like you. We like what you do and we appreciate your work. So get out there and be the most you you can be. And Marriage Boot Camp was like, OK, you're going to answer this question wrong because it's going to piss these people off and this and that. So it was a lot different. It was an experience for me, for sure. And, and, uh, I guess, do, so I, well, you said now girlfriend, you did get married and you, and I think actually during the show, if I'm not, if I, if I have it right. And in like, was this already, were you and were you and her close to the fiance getting married stage or did this help at all or hurt? Or was there any, was it just did nothing, no difference or, or what, how long were you dating when you came on the show? We'd been dating a long time already. We'd probably been together five years at five years, four or five years. And, uh, we were already getting close to marriage anyways. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, yeah, they called us. They wanted me because I was the smart ass from survivor. And, uh, we said, we don't really have any conflict. And they said, Oh, we'll come up with something and then put us on the show. So, uh, 
it was, yeah, it was definitely an eye opener for me of how a lot of reality TV works. Cause I was not uh, aware that, I mean, they would uh, stage things and, and stuff like that. And, and it's fine. It was entertaining and it was entertainment. But uh, uh, if I could do that over again, I would go a lot harder because uh, I feel like I was a little too tame on that show. And what was the top prize or what was the goal of it to be the last? Like, or was there was no goal. We got paid to show up and then we just uh, rode out our two weeks and uh, laughed all the way to the bank after that. And is it, are they trying to like cause like disruption? Yeah. Between you two? Is it, that what it is? They basically try to like ask awkward questions or who used to date or you know, whatever. They yeah. try to like make, they bring up tough situations. That's, yeah. That's sort of yeah. The goal. Exactly. So do you have an agreement with, with your, your girlfriend at the time going in like, Hey, look, this could get weird. It's going to get a little rocky. Like you've obviously been on shows at this point and you're used to like a little bit of, of you know, dynamics and maybe that world. Was it, was it, were you worried about her mentality or how it could maybe shake you guys up potentially a little bit? Or was it just like, all right, this is just a formality. Let's just run it and no worries. Yeah. We just ran it at first. Cause we were like, Oh, it's a good payday and uh, it'll be interesting to be on a different show. And then when we got there, there were actually moments where production came to me and was like, Hey, you got to answer these questions wrong in the little challenge thing we've got going on the exercise we've got going today, uh, answer them wrong. So that Rachel uh, gets pissed. And I was like, Okay, but I'm only going to answer them wrong. I have no problem answering them wrong and looking like a jerk on TV. Like, that's how I made most of my money. But I'm going to tell my girlfriend so that she is not completely shocked and weirded out by my answers. And they were like, okay, that's fair. So I just pulled Rachel aside and I was like, hey, they're asking, they're telling me to answer all the questions wrong that I can tonight. Is that cool? Just, you know, be ready. And now you have to be an actress. And she's like, okay. So it was fine. I think we went about it the right way in, in that respect, but it was definitely there. Were, that for me was definitely, there's more times on that show where I was like, I want out of this thing right now than there was on survivor in all four times I've been on survivor. Interesting. And and that's sort of, I mean, I guess that's people have to understand that too, right? That does, that does happen a lot, like probably in shows and there is some scripting and, you know, it's fun and natural, but there is a, you got to always give things a grain of salt a little bit or not correct people. Cause how do you think that that has impacted you? And do you worry about that? Like maybe your parents or friends or family or just in general that maybe certain shows or things or how you're portrayed, it's not really you. And that's going to be hard to shake at all. Or does that even do, do you care? Is it just like part of the game and you just realize that's what it is? I mean, the first time you go on, you don't understand that fully. I think you kind of have, an idea, but you don't really understand. And the first time I was on the show, like I was really portrayed villainous. And like I said, the things that I said on the show, so it's not like I have anybody to fault, but uh, they definitely can, you know, they, you're more of a single dimensional character on a TV show than you are as a person. And so uh, the first time I was on Survivor, uh, I was the villain or one of the villains. And my parents were pretty shocked and quite disappointed, to be honest. I got to say, my dad, who makes notes on every podcast, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, like we, I watched the first ever Survivor, basically the whole season. It was an amazing show. Like it just really caught my attention. It was fun. And it was like, I think I was in high school and it was Richard Hatch, right? And the whole thing and how it was done. And it was just kind of like shocking TV. And then Big Brother came. But, you know, my dad, even some of the questions he asked me to ask you, like in the way he worked, I could tell he was like genuinely perturbed by you a little, like, like upset. And I was in my mind, I haven't talked to him since his birthday today as well so happy birthday dad thank you for the notes on the birthday giving me a, a little extra to talk about here but you know he was uh 
it, it's sort of like that. And I was in my head, I'm like, man, listen, I know Tyson. I met Tyson. That doesn't take me long to get a feel for someone. And, and I, you know, I think you're genuinely one of the nicest guys I know. And there's just so much, so, so much positive energy and a fun person. So like to hear my dad, who's like the most like, you know, humble, or I should say, uh, yes, a moral compass and just like integrity guy to hear him, like kind of triggered by you. I was like thinking, Tyson, what were you doing on some of these shows? <laughs> my dad, so- like, like he literally his wording of his questions, like had emotion in them. And I was like, man, like, wow. Like I got to go back and watch this. Cause it's gotta be a little crazy. And you, like you said, you were portrayed as a villain. So yeah, tell me about what that means and what, and why that was. And, and, I like asking 20 questions at once. So yeah. uh, what, it's a Twitch streamer. I mean, I can't help it. What uh, do they kind of tell you that or egg you on? Or do you, do you know when you go in or is it just kind of how it's like shakes out in your season? Who's what? Like, or, are you like kind of knowing that's like your role? I mean, the first season I, what I, I think most people are oblivious. They don't really know. And then the, seasons after that, you do kind of get a feel for it and just kind of know like what your role and how you're going to be cast. And I, and I think that's part of the learning curve of going back and on survivor a bunch of times. And, uh, the first season, actually, when I went out, uh, I, so as you're getting cast for the show, they put a casting agent who's like your coach. That's kind of like, here's what you got to do to make good TV and this and that. And, I remember the casting agent was just like, listen, you've got, there's two ways to win this show. You win the money, bag the Millie, go home and disappear. Or you go as hard as you can so that even if you don't win, you get another shot at it. Mm. And so me going into that season, I was like, I don't want to have regrets watching back in moments where I should have said something and stayed quiet because I didn't want to cause controversy only to look back and be like, I was the invisible man on the show because I chose to bite my tongue every single step of the way, trying to win the money. And then I didn't win the money. So now I just have this regret of not showing who I am or how hard I'm willing to fight. And then also not winning the money. And so I went in just like, I'm going balls to the wall as hard as I can. I'm going to open my mouth every chance I get to say whatever I want to say. And that's it. And so, uh, I mean, how, how much studying had you done? Had you watched every survivor season going into it? Did you just wing it? Have you seen anything? You- yeah. So as I sent in my application, I had never seen an episode, wow. not one. Cause this I was in your dad. Your dad said you should apply for this. Yeah. My dad said I should apply. I laughed and said, you should apply. It's your favorite show. He laughed and said, I can't because I have a responsibility as a company owner and as a father and you have none of that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I literally, I sent an email to the casting and I said, I sent him like pictures of my like last three Halloween costumes, which were a merman, uh, ultimate warrior and uh hairy pumped blind man. And, uh, and I sent him those, what? That was it. You were in. And uh, yeah, I sent him those three pictures. I told him a little bit about my life background, a swimmer in college, a Mormon missionary, a pro cyclist. And then I just said, I kick ass. I deserve a million dollars. So let's get this shit going. And I got a phone call from an LA area code 10 minutes after I pushed send on that email. Wow. And they were like, are you for real? And I happened to just be in Vegas that day from Utah, just in Vegas on a Tuesday morning because I didn't have anything else to do. And they were like, where are you? And I was like, Vegas. And they're like, you're in Vegas. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you're from Vegas. I was like, no, this was like 2000. 
this was uh, 2008. And I'm like, no, there's no self-respecting people that live in Vegas. Are you right. kidding me? I'm, I'm here visiting. And they're like, on a Tuesday morning? Why a Tuesday morning? And I was like, because I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. What, what's with these questions? And they automatically after that, they were like, okay, we're flying out to California. We're going to have a bunch of interviews and see how it goes. And it wasn't like that easy the whole way through. Like, going through all that casting stuff was a grind. And yeah, tell uh, me about that. So when, even at this point you get picked into that spot, who, how many that's, that's not, you're on the show, right? That's no. Like, so you go to California, you're probably top like 200. Okay. So there's like 40 or 50 people in California at the same hotel, the double tree in Santa Monica. Okay. There's yeah, handlers. They call them handlers. They all have walkies on them. They're reporting all of your movements at the hotel. You're only allowed to leave your room when you're called to leave your room. So, or the schedule. So this, they'll give you like, Jeff, come on in. You walk through. Uh, the first thing you do is you walk through, you bump into the person who's been on the phone with you, the casting agent. They're all there. Uh, hey, Jeff, so excited to see you for a first time. This is so awesome. Uh, here's your room key. We'll call you at the hotel room. Don't leave your room for anything. Here's your schedule. And then you look at the schedule. The schedule is like breakfast every morning at 8 to 8.30. You get the gym from 9.30 to 10. You get the pool from uh, from 11 to 12. And then you got lunch. And then go back to your room. And then you got dinner. And so that's pretty much how it goes. And And then you go to breakfast. And there's 40 other people there. And as you walk in... Uh, one of the handlers comes and says, sit at a table by yourself. Don't talk to anybody. You're not allowed to talk to anybody unless they talk to you and have a, a walkie talkie on them. Interesting. And so you see everybody, but you're not allowed to talk to anybody. And, and then you're going to interviews that they call you for. And the interviews are to see how well you can talk about people that you haven't even had a conversation with and how noticeable you are and how much you stand out to the other people there. So your whole goal is to be able to talk about people and to create uh, an impression on everyone else there. And so my casting agent came to me and was like, Hey, look at uh, you just got to get people to talk about you. And the best way to do that is to be who you are around your closest friends. But the trick is you're by yourself. And so I was like, oh, okay, I think I got this. And it took me a little while because at first I was like, uh, didn't know how it worked and was kind of unsure. And at that point, I was like, if my goal is just to get people to talk about me, then I know how to do that. And so I went to breakfast. I went to dinner that night, I think. And it was a buffet line through the hotel. I scooped the mashed potatoes with my bare hand, put them on my plate, just like shook them off my fingers because people that were trying out for the show were in line behind me, watching me do this. And then I was taking bites of stuff, putting it back on the buffet tray after I was like, no, nah, not for me. And, uh, and you got to go it, contrarian, right? That's what you're saying. How do you yeah. stand out? You got to yes. do a wild all stuff. of it. Yeah. yeah. You pull uh, out all the tricks. Okay. I wore a speedo to the pool, which isn't unusual for me, but for in that setting, people are quite shocked by a, a speedo right. and it wasn't any speedo. It was a white speedo, which is see-through not only on the back, but also a little bit on the front. Okay. And uh, the hotel management, not even somebody from the show came and asked me to not wear that swimsuit. And so a little the, bit of tribute to Richard Hatch as well. Yeah, I guess so. So the hotel management was there talking to me as everybody else at the pool is witnessing me. And these are in waves. So you're having breakfast with like, 
15 people, the same 15 people are at the pool with you, the same 15 people are at the gym. And then there's three groups of those as there's like 40 or 50 people at the hotel. Uh, then one day I showed up early on accident to the pool and about halfway through my pool time, I realized this isn't my group. I'm an hour early. I checked my schedule, but nobody said anything to me. So I was like, I'm just going to stay the whole day at the pool and and hang out as the other groups come and go. So now everybody's seeing me in my speedo at the pool. And it was like dumb luck that I even stumbled upon that. And, uh, after two days, th- this is like an eight day trip. After two days of staying at the pool all day, I literally was at the pool for six hours, like two days in a row. Uh, casting came up to me and was like, Hey, we love what you're doing. That's so hilarious that you're just staying at the pool and do not give a shit. We love it. But other people are really pissed and they're complaining that you get all this pool time. So we have to ask you to not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And then I just kept doing it. And, uh, <laughs> And they never asked me again. And the thing, I think they like, they test your, like, if it would have been something more serious, I definitely would have followed the rules, but on something like ridiculous, they want you to be a a rule breaker. You know, they want you to be a rule breaker, but within their bound, within their parameters of like, what's okay as a rule breaker. And so anything that's like disrespectful or is going to make their job harder, they definitely don't want. But as long as you're like respectful to them and just breaking the rules to get a rise out of everybody else, they love that. Right. That's so, so very interesting. And then when you finally got told, was it there? Did they call you back or did they tell no. you? No. So people are disappearing the whole time. It's and a what survivor, it's a, it's a pre-survivor. People yeah. are being shipped out at, in front of your eyes. Yeah. They're you getting shipped out. You see the room getting smaller. Yes. Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, and they told me, they were like, those are the people that aren't making it and they don't know they didn't make it. They got told that they had already, we'd already gotten everything we needed from them. And so as people are disappearing, they're thinking they maybe made the show, but they didn't stay the whole week. They just got an early flight home and they're being told we got everything we need. We've got done earlier than we thought we would with you. Awesome. We'll call you because they don't want to have that rejection face to face because they deal with thousands upon tens of thousands of rejections every season where they're telling people no. So they have to do it. Like most of the time you're either getting ghosted or you're getting like a real short phone call from somebody you don't know. That's like, Hey, didn't get it. Sorry. See ya. And so, but I was aware of this at, at a certain point. And so the room's getting smaller and smaller and uh, the interviews are getting more and more important. And the last interview, they take you to CBS studios and you are in front of, uh, at the time, Les Moonves and, you know, like the CEO of CBS, all the, the president, all these people are there to make a decision on whether or not you could go on their show. Very, very intense. And then when you finally like, and then when, so when do you actually know, when do you get the call up? Or- so that's the thing though. So you leave and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll call you in like two weeks. It's never two weeks they're always behind schedule and it's always by a lot. And the best thing you can do if you're going through casting is try not to care about it, or at least pretend like you don't care. And so they called like maybe three or four weeks after and they said, Hey, we have some news for you. And maybe you'll get like an email. It's like, Hey, we're not quite done figuring it out yet. We'll, you know, we'll get in touch. And for me, like I hadn't invested a lot. Like I had started watching the show only because I was going through the casting process and it wasn't a lifelong dream of mine to be on the show initially. So for me, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, it's easy loss. It's not a big deal if I don't get this thing. And to some degree, I looked at the other people and was like, 
if they choose those guys over me, then you know what? That's their loss anyways. And because uh, this was the younger, arrogant me. And they called me and they said, hey, we've got some news for you. And I was like, cool. And they're like, you made the show. I was like, cool. And they're like, that's all we got from you is a cool. And I was like, well, I'm Generation X. So like, this is as excited as I get. This is me fired up. Like, yeah, this or- is me fired yeah. up, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so what's the guarantee? What is that? What is that? Mink? Is it a mink cash? Are you guaranteed something? I forget the payout structure. And the, yeah, the you're guaranteed. You're guaranteed yeah. like 12K min cash. Okay. So but it goes up from there. So, so everybody gets 10,000 and then, uh, but you have to be gone the whole time, the whole five weeks. So even if you're voted out first, you don't get to go home. You have to stay there. And so min cash is you, everybody gets 10 K first person voted out gets 2,500. Uh, and then it jumps up like 1.5 or two grand slow increments. Second place gets a hundred K and winner gets a million. So second place to first one voted out is a hundred thousand down to 2,500 and everything is in between there. So it's uh, yeah, I would say for, you know, most of the population, even getting voted out first is, is worth the trip. But uh, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, so that was it. And you, and so, so was that a, was that like that 12 K in your head now, what are you thinking now? How does this thing shift once you've, you're on the show. It's like, all right, now I'm going to ramp up studying. Now it's real. Now yeah. like, I want to know, like all, I want to talk to people that find people have been on. I want to learn about it. Like where you, how, how deep into it did you go? So they scare you into not contacting anybody that's been on the show. They're like, we will know we pay some people to report back to us. If anybody gets in touch with them, watch the show as much as you can. They have casting, the casting agents still in touch with you, helping you prepare and stuff like that. Telling you like, Hey, you got to learn how to make fire. You should learn how to make a shelter. You should do this and that. So you're doing all that stuff and you're watching the show, but the show isn't even a true representation of the game. Cause like an episode of the show is three days worth of footage. And so you're seeing a storyline of strategy that either worked or worked for a little bit or was so catastrophic that it didn't work at all. What you're not seeing is the uh, 500 other ideas that people have proposed throughout the days. And so you're seeing like a real streamlined version of the actual game when it's like you're having swirling conversations that are constantly changing all day long. Yeah, I, I got to believe that too. Like thinking about this casting process, you know, it really is. Uh, they're they're handpicking a fairly large pool, and there are some stages. So like the people are probably pretty sharp, pretty interesting, and 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 it's not an easy competition. You know, it's not just like random people off the street or someone says, "Hey, I'd like to do it." So they are getting some people that are probably pretty physically fit, pretty mentally sharp, or you yeah. can tell have something about them. Where did you, when you sized up the group, when you got there, I'm sorry, how many is it? 20? 20. Yeah. When you saw the 20, when you got like, what was the feeling like when you first, like, give me the, give me the process of, so where was your season? The first one? Uh, Brazil. Oh, Brazil. Very nice. What yeah. part? Uh, Token Chains National Park uh, in the desert highlands of Brazil, which is like just east of the Amazon basin. Amazon Delta. Right. And so was this like, what, do you remember the process flying down there? Yeah. All of it, dude. Other people flying on your flight. Yeah. It? They all were. The whole cast was on the flight. Everyone goes out of LA so we all flew to, we all flew to Miami. Oh man. Okay. Then we all stayed in a hotel in Miami. We didn't see anybody yet. And then they brought us in small groups to the airport where the entire cast all 
congregated right there at the airport at the ticketing gate. And that's the first time we saw everybody that was going to be on the show. And, uh, well, what do you remember thinking when you saw the people there? Did we kind of like, Oh, that's interesting. Or did you start already like thinking, Oh, I, was it like instantly like a game to you? Like, all right, this guy and whatever, I want to try to bond with this person. Yeah. And mostly what I did was I tried to pick people that were the most different from me, figuring people wouldn't suspect, uh, suspect us working together, you know? And so it was like the old lady and, and, you know, like the nerdy looking dude and stuff like that. I was like, okay, if I work with these people that don't look like I look, then nobody will suspect this alliance. And so that was my initial like kind of thought process going into it. And then traveling, you get to see like people's nuances, how, you know, how, if they're picky, if they're, you know, you like hear them having conversations with like airline employees and stuff like that. So you do get like a little window into who they are. And then the trip was a grind, dude, because we took like three different flights to get to like the middle of nowhere. And then we took like a six hour drive on a dirt road. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so by the time we got there, people were already frazzled. <laughs> and so, so then you get to see people under duress and stuff and the show hasn't even started yet. So, and, so that, uh, is it like kind of, was your, is it, is it that point or people kind of, uh, like, do you, is it like, kind of, are you wondering, is it worth it? We, could you tell where there's some people kind of like annoyed, like what the hell's going on? And you, it was just not made for some people right away. Like, yeah, definitely. That, like within yeah. a night there. Cause it's, it is, it, it's, this is also where I understand. I don't know if you can talk about that or not, but in terms of the accommodations, like, is it literally you're out in the, in the middle of nowhere outdoors? Yeah. Or like, do you get to yeah. come in and get breaks or get like any kind of like protection or anything? Or you're just literally on, on your own out there. No, you get, you are on your own. I mean, you're with the group, but there's, there's no respite unless you create it for yourself. And the, uh, so yeah, so the trip is hard, but then once you get out there, there's like a week where they're like, let you acclimate a little bit. You're intense with like electricity and you have access to toilets and stuff. And they're just kind of like teaching you a little bit about the area so that you don't like go off and hurt yourself really bad. So they're like showing you any poisonous plants there are or what the animals are like and stuff like that to it's stay safe. A pretty, a pretty intense waiver you sign, right? Cause it does. I mean, Dude, it's so it's a thick like, waiver. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not just uh, like, Oh, this is what we suggest. But I mean, at some point you could, you get like, how does it happen if someone's like confused or that, what if they see you pick something that they know is point like what, ha- like, do they, is there any type of help or is it yeah. just like you're, yeah, there's medical there yeah. and and there is like if you were to take something like this last season i was on before we ate a fish they would give us the thumbs up of if we could eat it or not and so there's stuff like that like that's pretty, that's we got pretty, a fish uh, and they're like uh hold on i don't know that fish let me check with the expert and then i'll let you know if you can cook that and wow that's pretty intense that's pretty, yeah like you wouldn't even i wouldn't even realize that that's a thing you could like cook a fish that's not okay yeah because there's some pollution poisoning mercury poisoning stuff with some fish and usually the more the fish at the top of the food chain are more susceptible to that type of thing so eating shark can be dangerous for you because they've eaten a lot of fish that have eaten a lot of pollution yeah and so and then they're the filter at the very top so they're getting all of it Right. Uh, and so, uh, but like on, on this season, there was, uh, and there's cashews that grow wild and cashews are actually a seed, not a nut. And they grow, there's a cashew apple. And then the seed grows on the outside of this apple and the fruit is really, really good, but a cashew, you cannot eat raw. It has to be processed or else it is toxic to, a, to a human. Okay. And so they said, 
You can eat these cashew fruits if you see them growing, but do not under any circumstances, try to eat the seed. Don't break open the seed casing and get any of that liquid on your hands or anything like that. And uh, so I said, okay. And I mean, everybody said, okay. And then I found a cashew apple like day two. And one of the, I was doing an interview and one of the producers was like, have you found any food yet? And I was like, yeah, I found a cashew fruit and I ate the fruit. And then I cracked the seed open and ate the seed knowing it would get a rise out of the producer. And the producer just like went like, ghost white and was just like did you really eat that though like trying to be cool so that i wasn't startled you know i was like uh yeah i did it was kind of weird tasting but i got it down and i think it gave me energy and she's like no but did you really eat that and i was like yeah i did and then she called on the walkie she's like hey tyson tyson ate a a cashew seed yeah and then i was like i'm just kidding i didn't eat one at that point i was like I didn't eat one. I'm just kidding. She's like, Oh my God, dude, that, uh, you, you probably would have died. And I would have been the one that was kind of responsible. Cause I'm here with you right now. And I was like, no, I listen to you guys. So that's awesome. And you, and did you, did you, uh, what were you, when you, once you got there and acclimated a bit and it was time for the games to start, like, was the feeling, was it like pure excitement? Were you nervous or, or were you like, man, I don't know if I want to be here. Were you like, this is for me. I'm going to ship a million. I mean, a million dollar purse is pretty special, right? Like in yeah. the 5% equity, you know, plus you're probably a favorite just guessing overall, like with the crew, the cast, what do you think your actual chances were? And there's a lot of luck too. people vote. Yeah. You, know, you could have like a misstep, like just like any, which is, which is kind of fun. But what do you think your like true odds were? Like, let's say you didn't get, uh, you didn't get, you know, picked off or something that you couldn't control. Uh, at that point, I mean, there was a, probably the majority of the season, I was the odds on favorite to win like in Vegas and That's stuff when they, sick. when they used to bet on survivor and I was, I mean, physically I was the most dominant person there and socially I was very good as well. And yeah. so, uh, honestly, there was a point where I was like, I don't even see how I can lose this million dollars. And that's about the point when things go wrong. If you're on survivor and there's still a handful of people left and you're in your head saying, I don't see how I can lose a million dollars. That's when you need to reevaluate everything and change your direction because everybody else is seeing that exact thing. Right. So, so looking back at it, which I guess you did get a few opportunities and did capitalize, what would you have done differently in your control uh, to not go out? And I think what eighth place and what did that pay? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I made like almost 40 K that season. And, uh, I, I mean, I, there were some things I could have done and, uh, I had initially thought of it. And and I think the one thing is that you can't let your emotions or your personal differences, uh, come in between you and strategy. And so you need to take the people who are going to benefit you most, even if they aren't your best friend. And I think that in that first season, especially, I did not do that. There were definitely people I alienated and people I wanted out just because I knew that they were crossing me a little bit. When if I probably would have sat down and had a conversation with them that was like, hey, I know you're out to get me. And this is all the info I know on you because other people are telling me. I think it could have worked definitely in my favor. Um And so I went back playing the other times with that mindset, like do not alienate people. Even the the people on the bottom at some point changed the course of the game. 
And that's and, and always, almost always how it is. On, when you got voted off on the first round, did you know you were getting voted off at that moment when you, when, it, when you went to the tribal thing or do you never really know? No, but I also was in my mind. I was like, how could they not vote me out? They're idiots. And I think if you're saying that, then everyone else is saying that too. And, and, but, but, and how much of it is luck and skill? Cause like essentially the challenge it's like poker. It's like poker, right? Like you could be the best in the challenge, but you know, that particular challenge is like not, you just, whatever, another person just goes out of their mind or is like. Oh, and a lot of challenges are luck-based to a certain degree, like a shuffleboard challenge, uh, you know, like there's, there's challenges where that are definitely, they, they have to design the challenges so that everybody there Has has some chance to win it or to win a challenge. And so for me, the, my, I think my best challenges are ones that have multiple steps to them because I'm pretty good at everything. And so uh, if you can add a bunch of different elements, then maybe I'm like the top 80, top 90 percentile of most of those things. I'm going to come out with the W versus one specific thing. Now it's a crapshoot for me. You have an athletic background and you play games. You like, you know, these things are just, you're definitely built for this type of show. So when you, when you, when you get, in there and and now you're seeing the stuff like was it was it uh would you say that the other people there how many people from your experience people you know people that you've talked to afterward like really like the show and they're like i'm glad i did this and how many are like this was shouldn't i shouldn't have gone and this was not for me and i just don't get me out of here or is like most people want to go back after they get eliminated uh i think most people want to go back most people are happy they did it once because it's a challenge and it's a lot of, it's out of a lot of people's comfort zone. And it's just interesting to see how you will react under those situations and under that type of stress. And, and in some ways see how self-reliant you can be with nothing. And then, uh, and then I think initially when you get voted out, most people are like, I got to play again. I, 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 can win this yeah i could have done better i just needed to do one thing and you put a lot of survivors who haven't won the show in a room and all they're telling you is bad beat stories i was just i had a note my dad made a note on that that was fascinating like literally because everyone it's like it's like poker and sex and anything people think they're the best right like in these spots and and guys are just like yeah they're like oh i should have had this or like oh if this didn't happen or i can't believe this yes they voted me out when i was the most dangerous you know like stuff like that that sort of mentality so it's got to be almost humorous it is annoying. Yes, exactly. Time, but, um, yeah. Yeah. You get a bunch of former contestants in a room and it's nonstop bad beat stories. <laughs> and it's usually pointing the blame at somebody like, Hey, if you wouldn't have done that, I probably could have won. It's like you were fourth one voted out. You had like 17 more moves to win the game. You had so many more moves left. Like how can you even blame it on something like that? So I, yeah, it's exactly like that. And people are different too. Like for me, like, I am driven by an adrenaline rush and I'm, and I'm driven to compete. And I do really well when I do something for the first time. Like if you're like, okay, here's a physical challenge you've never done before. I will perform better than I should just based on the fact that like I'm proving to people that I can do something like that. And the adrenaline is going through me. Like I, I think I thrive under pressure to a certain degree where I don't think a lot of people have that same reaction people can crumble under the pressure as well. Right. 
And and what do you and what about like lying alliances, all this stuff, like you know, Big Brother as well. I mean, there's a there's a clip that stands out to me, Liberty, who I, you know you've run poker. She was on a show, I forget the name of the show, where it was like either you chop that you like talk and then you're like you get half, right? Like you either get half the time. Oh, yeah. Like, I won't screw you. And she like it's like, yeah, you know, we're uh, this is beautiful. We're both gonna win. Of course I would never do that. And then she like that was like her introduction to like uh, TV and stuff, and she just like savagely like like crushed this guy and then took the money. Yeah, so it's like, but you know, live and she's a gamer she's a gamesman and it's gaming like how do you sort of separate that with survivor is it literally anything goes and this is like role play in a thing or do you feel like there's some sort of ethical uh stuff and and and, and what's your take on that with the game versus real life and then how you separate the two um honestly it is just a game and you really have to go into it with that mindset but that being said uh i think that if you if you're playing purely strategic and all of your moves are based on strategy, then, or if like, if you and I played together and you got the best of me and it made sense for you to get rid of me, then I would have no issue with that. But if we went in and we're friends and you're like, I just want to get rid of Tyson so that he doesn't get more followers than me on Instagram, then I would take uh, offense to you voting me out. Cause I'd be like, it probably, then it gets personal. You, I, I mean, it's just like, it's like to get somebody out just to get them out. Uh, I would be bugged by that. But if you're, if it's like uh, strategically, I have to, because I have a better route without you, then for me, that's fine. And like, I've played so many times that I played with multiple friends and I played with multiple friends multiple times. And I, that's the general understanding, you know, right. is, is that like, if I have a friend out there, I will work with that friend as long as it benefits both of us. Right. And let's speaking of that, does, does, I would imagine, I know the answer to this, the, the show, they don't facilitate deals. I would imagine, right. They don't want like guys heads up. It's against the rules. Against the rules. Now, is there any way to do that? Has anyone done that that you know of? Cause, or is it like you're on camera and microphone, you can never like go whisper when you're down to three and like do that. I mean, just, and, and don't, don't speak. Obviously there's a code, I'm not saying you are, you know, someone I'm just saying in theory, could somebody do it if they wanted to, or really there's no way? Cause in poker too, some tournaments do, some don't facilitate yeah. guys making And bike racing deals. is the same. There's deals made and people kind of get upset at that sometimes. In, but in what? In poker? In bike racing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, bike racing. Go. If you got two guys heads up for a race and uh, one of them's like, this is going to change my career. I'll pay you a hundred thousand to let me win it. Like there's, you know, that's, that happens. And I, you could definitely, uh, find a place to hide and talk uh, a deal with somebody. But then it's a little more complicated because like in, in poker, even if like a, a say WSOP or po- party poker or somewhere won't facilitate it, you can still write down something, have a contract, like do something. But there, I mean, you're out. There's you know, nothing. There's it's a, on your word. There's, there's a handshake legit. That's it. There's no like yeah. take a paper pen and, and uh, like, let's like, like do this. And I mean, cause I'm sure if it has happened, it could get ugly too. Right. There could be even like right. level, like it's like your buddy, but are they really, you didn't know him before, you know him for what a week or a month or whatever, or five weeks, like, you know, so you, you, then you're also trusting that. And it's so, uh, interesting, but so yeah, the show does not want that, and they tried, and they, it basically is frowned upon, and not because allowed. it ruins the story of the show. Like right. when you have like six or seven people who are in some type of deal before the show even starts or early on, and then all of a sudden people are getting eliminated, and it doesn't make any sense to the audience. Like, what kind of TV is that? 
you know? Right. Yeah. Guys are like, it's, it's just too crazy. Right. How is this guy getting voted off? Yeah. That we don't see any relationships like, forming, but there's this tight group of these people who have supposedly, you know, and with a returning show with the people, all returning players, that's definitely going to happen to a certain degree. They try to police it as best they can, but there's no way to stop that's it. A good point. That's then it gets tricky. Cause now you do know people. Now you do have stuff yeah. now when you know you're coming back um, when they, so are you not supposed to say when you're coming back, is that like the deal? Like they invite you back and technically you're not supposed to like correct anything. Yeah, correct. You're not supposed to talk to anybody. You're not supposed to say anything, but with social media and everything these days, it's like impossible to stop that. And I think, I don't even know if it's in the contract anymore that it's against the rules. It used to be in the contract that was against the rules. It's very similar to poker with like ghosting, right? Cause it's like, you know, I stream on Twitch, I'm on camera, I'm here, whatever, but what are you doing for 99% of the population of people that you know, they get deep in a tournament. Unfortunately, it's one of the, you know, the areas of poker, you could say it's, it's stuff like people ghost, you know, you stake someone and then they, they, you want help. They're a better player than you. Like this is the type of stuff you can't really control. And right. so like put a rule about it. It's sort of crazy. Cause you know, there's, there's not really no way to police it, but yeah. So interesting. Um, all right. Well, I, listen, there's so many things I want to talk about. I'm fascinated by that whole thing. Let's just talk about quickly the second run then. So you get voted out when you go, what, what, tell me the feeling though, when you got voted out, was it like devastating that were you so immersed at that point eight left? Like, wow, this is a million up top. Like, was there a number you're like, I want to get top three or like, I'm got to win it. And like, what did that feel like when you actually, they called your name and you were done and now you got a long three flight home from the middle of nowhere in Brazil. Yeah. You 40 G's, which is nice. You, you, you're on national television, pretty fun experience, but, but what was the feeling? Oh, a disappointment and anger for sure. Like you, because at that point I was like, I was the favorite. I knew I was the favorite. Everyone else knew I was the favorite and it felt like nobody was going to do anything about it. And so at that point I was like, I got a million dollars. This is crazy. I'm going to win a million dollars on TV. This is so crazy. So I'd already convinced myself that I was getting paid, you know? And, and so there was that. And then like the, I think everybody handles it differently. And they do have like a psychiatrist there. The second you get voted out, they put you in a car with a psychiatrist. So yeah, to just talk you down, talk you through it if you need. And I was good. Like I'm pretty strong mentally. I've done a lot of crazy things in my life and I've, you know, I've lost a lot of things like professional bike racing is for most of bike racers is not about winning. And it's like, how do you explain to your friends that you lost three more bike races that week. Like that's, that's just the way it goes with pro cycling. And so for me, it was like, I lost, I had the opportunity. It was cool, whatever it's, you know? And so like, I was able to justify it and, and be okay with it. Uh, Some people have a much harder time. And also, you know, years down the road, a few years down the road, I ended up winning and that brought a lot of closure to, all of those feelings of, of it, but survivors interesting in the same way that poker is, is that the most talented poker player in the tournament almost never wins the tournament as it has to be, or else there's no real show or excitement or or there's, it's just like, it's, it's got to have some luck and variance, right? Correct. And survivors the same. And and how does, uh, how did that, uh, so when it gets down to eight, like Mm -hmm. what's the actual, like, so what happened? You lost a challenge. So I lost a challenge. I lost the first challenge that I'd lost in a long time. Okay. And I was thinking I was going to be safe through that. And then I was just going to win every other challenge to the finish line. And I was like, I'll do that. That's the easiest way to win. If I win every challenge, everybody just has to vote for me to win, no matter how I'm treating anybody. 
And right. so that was my, that was my plan A. And then I get voted out. But I mean, the second I saw my name, the first time I knew it was me, I was like, there's no reason my name should even be written down one time. And so at that point I was like, they got me. Damn right. it. So, so the, is, was it a matter of who won that challenge or were you basically like toasted like in your mind where you had no out or like after you lost the challenge or was it a bit unlucky who won that challenge to, to vote you out? No, it was an ally who won the challenge and they actually offered me the immunity necklace and just like, Hey, you can wear this if it makes you feel more comfortable. I was like, I don't think I need it this time. Cause we, uh, in my head, I had the numbers. And that's survivor is like poker in that it is a numbers game. You want to be on the right side of the numbers all the time. You're always making decisions based on, on that, you know, how many numbers you can keep with you versus how many numbers are then going to be against you. Right. And, uh, why wouldn't you take the immunity though? You just, you like, even if you thought you didn't need it, why wouldn't you take it? Because there's some, I mean, in hindsight, yes, I probably should have, but if there is some, uh, there's something to being like, no, you keep it. You earned it. And I feel comfortable with our relationship. And as long as we're together, it shouldn't matter type so of if thing. You're taking it, what would happen? That person could be at risk, even though they want. Yeah. Yeah. But why would they offer it to you? Because they probably didn't feel like they were at risk either. And they weren't. And it would have been a lot differently. But uh, uh, yeah, but that's I mean, that's how it is. Uh okay. Yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't understand. Yeah, obviously, you make the best choice in the moment. But, but the thing is, is like it's it's like a lot of stuff. It's like uh, if you end up, you can't seem like you are fully uh, selfish on Survivor because right. that's so you have to at least appear to be acting for the good of your alliance all the time. And you have to show some good faith. It's just part of the of the show is like showing good faith then you get good faith in return. And so in, in doing something like that, we're like, Oh, the, she was so excited that she won this necklace. And she's like, I'm, I want to, she's like, if you don't feel comfortable, all you can have it at tribal council. I was like, no, I feel good. And you earned it. You should wear it type of thing. And yeah, in hindsight, I should have taken it. But at the time I didn't really feel threatened and it did earn good faith with her in that she was like, Oh, cool. He's letting me wear it. I'm excited to wear it. It's, it's like an exciting thing to wear the immunity necklace for a lot of people. So, yeah. Very, very interesting. Someone's referencing the Garrett. It's uh, I'm sorry. It's Patrick. What's up, Patrick? They got live at the bike saying Garrett. Is he talking about Garrett Adelstein? Was he on? Yeah. Yeah, he was. I didn't actually, now that sounds familiar. Maybe I heard that. A lot of people didn't know that. Yeah. Actually, most people know it. He was on the show. He didn't last very long. Interesting. And I know JRB, what I think Anna Kate, any other kind of poker ties in? I feel, there's a few others maybe. I mean, Boston Rob was there. Yes. Uh, and he's in poker. Uh, win as well? Who? Boston. Did he win it? Boston Rob? Yes. Boston has, Rob has won one. He won, uh, he won like 2012, 2000, maybe 2011. Interesting. Uh, um, yeah. So I think. Th- I feel like there's more poker. Oh yeah. The, uh, um, just on like a year ago, Ronnie Barta. Yeah. Okay, Ronnie Barta yeah. was on it. I did know that too. Yeah. Like Ronnie. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, there's a few others. I know. I just can't, I'm drawing a blank, but I know, you know, I know uh, you lose a lot of weight. That is true. Right. You, it's yeah. Just- you do lose a ton of weight and Garrett is super muscly and the muscly guys do have it really tough out there with a, with almost no calories, like you have all that muscle and now it's just eating itself. And you could tell he was really exhausted and it was only a few days in. And then he, 
tried to control the game by telling people not to talk strategy, which rubbed everybody the wrong way. Interesting. And so, yeah. What? So it was, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate because I know he really wanted to play the game and he's been a fan of the game for a long time and you get out there and it's just different than what you see. Like it's harder uh, than a lot of people really expect it to be, even though I think in some aspects it's easier than people are assuming. Like a lot of people will say, I'm not very good at going camping. I'm not good at like survival stuff. And it's like, you don't have to be, uh, you have to rely on the group a lot and, and the group dynamic and getting things done as a group. And that's where you're going to thrive. And so you see a lot of people who are out of their element, but are able to still thrive because they are helping the group thrive in whatever capacity they can. And, and so I think in that way, it is easier. You don't need to have those skills specifically, but in a lot of ways for Garrett, I I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of him, but what I saw on TV is that his body being as big and muscly as it is, was unable to deal with starvation and it affected him mentally and emotionally and depleted his morale, et cetera. Yeah. He's a guy I don't know so well, but I obviously a world-class poker player seems like a really interesting guy. Maybe, yeah, maybe one day I can talk to him about that and what that experience was. It sounds, it sounds I mean, just, again, you, I feel like you talk forever about even one parter of a season. It's just so interesting and unique. So I do want to, I do not want to spend the entire time on it, but so you get voted out and then you're like, man, I want to get back. How long did you, did they tell you sort of, did you know you would be coming back likely, or you have no idea, or was this a thing where they were like doing repeats yet or not really? At that time, they weren't really, they had done one repeat and then kind of thought that they weren't going to do anymore, but I had kind of a hunch that they were going to do it. And I, there were whispers that it was going to happen. And then I think, uh, we filmed my first season in like, uh, in like October, November of, uh, 2008. Yeah. Cause this was talk, talk tens or whatever. Is that's right. Yeah. Token chains. Yeah. Token chains. Yeah. Token and so it aired in 2009. Yep. And then I went to the finale 2009 of in May and a couple days after the finale, I got a phone call from casting or an email that they were going to be doing a returning season and I'd be going back. So, so hero, heroes versus villains, this is called, who, how do you get deemed a villain versus a hero? Do they just decide based on how you're portrayed or is this a yes. voting? Like they no, just, they just decided based on, yeah. Based and on and if you look at it, I mean, the villains tribe has definitely been way more successful as survivor players than the heroes tribe. Um, the villains tribe is more devious, more strategic, more, you know, that's, and the heroes are more of like, you know, the, the sweethearts of America who are, you know, built like Superman and uh, do everything based on the fact that everyone's watching and they try to, you know, like they And so, yeah, uh, they're not the gamers right. for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, so what happened there? So you go out in 15th, this was, uh, yeah, I, I blew myself up. Okay. So, at that point, after token chains, I said, okay, I got to take big risks and everything's on me. I can't rely on anybody and I'm just going to take some big swings. And I took a really big swing that ended up backfiring on me and uh, ended up getting voted out really early. And that was like pretty upsetting because it was all my fault. Like if I would have just done what I had planned to do initially, I would have been okay. And what, what, uh, what, what was, what did you do that? So there was nine of us on the tribe, six of us on one side and three on the other. There was a hidden immunity idol on the 
group of three that we knew about, and we were going to split the votes three, three on two of them. So even if all three of them put their votes on one of us, it would go to a revote and we'd just vote one of them out. Um, but I knew who had the idol and I knew that it was unlikely they were going to give it away. So I took a swing at one of the other people. So I switched my vote. So instead of splitting it three, three, I didn't tell anybody. And I switched my vote to the other person to make it a four, two vote. And they all voted for me. So I had three votes and the person who received two votes, who had the immunity idol gave it to the person who was going to get four votes. So they were protected. So then I had the most next votes and went home. Mm. So how, and where was this one? Where did this take place? Samoa. How, how is this different in terms of difficulty from the time you, you weren't there that long, but yeah. how did, how did the terrain and the, the overall feeling of the differences, like were you just more prepared because you had experience and you're ready to go or was it, was it challenging also? It was challenging in a few. Uh, I mean, there were differences. Uh, it was easier in that it was by the ocean. Salt water is easier than fresh water. And, f- and we didn't have salt water in token chains. It was inland. Why is that easier? Uh, salt water just kills more bacteria, more infection. It's easier to stay clean. It's easier to s- stay less stinky because you're, you know, you can rinse your mouth out with salt water and scrub your teeth up a little bit. You can scrub salt water all over your body and salt water does kill a lot of those germs and bacteria and, uh, fresh water doesn't. So, uh, the freshwater season, everybody smelled way worse. And there was a lot more people that were getting skin infections and stuff like that Hmm. on their body versus a salt water season. So that was easier. Uh, it was harder in the sense in that it was, pure it was pure strategy and business right off the get-go and the first season you're on you say yeah it's going to be all strategy and business and then when you get out there it's such a ridiculous situation that you all kind of bond over how weird and ridiculous and unique it is and so you do like spend like the first like week or so getting to know people and kind of moving at a slower pace whereas on a returning season you hit the ground running you got to find your group everybody's being strategic nothing around camp is getting done because everybody's busy playing the game and so from that standpoint it was less enjoyable initially it wasn't harder it was just like this is not as fun yeah and that's interesting yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense too. I guess it's also in the first one too. I guess like just you said, it's almost like it is surviving. Got guys are relying on to go get the food or whatever. Guys are relying to keep you warm or find the right thing. So you're kind of like bonded over necessity and and just everyone learning together. Uh, all right, so that one wasn't too eventful. You go out fifteenth. What was the feeling there? Similar, different. You're you're disappointed. Like wow, way worse. Yeah. Way, way worse. worse. Yeah, way worse. Because I knew that I had set myself up really good because I was holding two separate factions together and I was like the middle guy between them. Okay. And, and, uh, and, and like, yeah, and I was kind of leading things from the background and people were not suspecting of me at all. So I was feeling like I was in a great spot. And so that was a lot of disappointment. And it was, you know, it was, I, I've had to answer that question a lot. Why did you switch your vote? Like all the time I, I have to answer that question. It's just like, I was taking a big swing, like trying to take control early and then just, you know, and in hindsight, it, it was a poor move, even if it would have worked out because I didn't tell the rest of the people I was working with that I was going to switch my vote. They would have not trusted me after that anyways. Um, so the next time I go out, uh, I kind of thought I was done. I thought I was totally done with that season. And, uh, or I thought I was totally done with survivor. Cause I went out so early. I didn't make that much of an impact other than I did something crazy. And, uh, then I get a call to go back 
and uh, so this is now Survivor. Blood versus Blood water. Versus water. And what's the what's the what's the whole thing here? What's the so plan? the premise is that it's a returning player plus they bring a loved one who was my girlfriend now wife. Wait, what? You it's a show with your significant other? Yeah. For everyone. So everyone has a partner? Everyone has a partner, but then they split us up. So it's returning players versus the partners tribe. Wow. So so there's 20. Is it a million to first as well? It's a million, yeah. right? Yep. So you have a 50% chance now, or I'm sorry, well, a double chance of what double it was, chance, 10% yeah. chance now yep. to win a million. But you're yes. actually, how, how were the payouts any different or, or like, or still no? So you could actually go out 19 and 20 as a couple. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Super interesting. That, yeah. That's cool. I, what, a, what a concept. What were your thoughts when you got, like when they presented this idea to you? Like, was it, I mean, that's got, what was your, and what did your girlfriend at the, it was a girlfriend at the time? Yeah. Or no. His girlfriend. So yeah, we were living crazy. together and they called me initially, but they didn't call me and ask me if my girlfriend wanted to play. They called me and said, Hey, would you be interested in playing again? I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. And, uh, at that time I'd convinced myself, I was like, I'm too talented for this game. Like I'm too good athletically. I'm too good socially. And you can't stand out at all. Like you really have to downplay everything you do uh, uh, to, you know, further yourself in the game. So part of me was that. And then I was just like, I don't know that I want to deal with the disappointment of losing again. And so they said, okay, that was like in January. Then around March or April, uh, another casting person called and said, would you be interested in playing survivor if Rachel also got to come with you and play survivor. And I said, that would interest me, but only if Rachel wants to do it. So here's her phone number. You call her and have the conversation with her. And if she, what? Yeah. You got you, you enroll her. You told them you got to enroll. Yes, exactly. So I said, you enroll her and it's up to her. I'm not influencing her decision. She can choose. And if she decides that we should do it, then we will. And they said, okay. So they talked to her and she ended up going through the casting process. I didn't have to go through the casting process. I'm a returning player. They just have to make sure that I'm sane and physically okay to do the show. So they fly. So what happens when you're a returning player is they fly you out to LA. You take a psych evaluation and go do a physical with a doctor, like an in-depth physical where they do part. And the people don't make it through that? Through the physical and the mental? Yeah, like that the, they come in, like they're ready to go and they just can't get out there. Some, for sure some. I don't think it's a huge percentage, but I have definitely heard of people not passing psych or not, and also not passing physical. Okay. So it does happen. It's not a huge percentage, but it's like, you got to be able to run. Your heart has to be healthy. You can't have like bad knees or anything that's going to prohibit you from running and jumping and things like that. Uh, uh, psych wise, they need to make sure that even under extreme stress, you're not going to hurt yourself or somebody else. Okay. And so that's basically what they're looking for. They want you to be crazy for sure. That's one of their ingredients of the show is crazy people, but you can't be so crazy that you're going to cause harm to yourself or somebody else. Okay. And so, uh, so Rachel goes out, does the casting They we get through and then uh, we end up going out for that. And initially uh, I said, okay, I'm here for, so that Rachel can have this experience so she can feel what I've felt the last two times I played and knows exactly what I've been going through and what I do when I do this. And I'm just here to have fun and party and have as much fun as I can until they inevitably vote me out for being too good at something. Where, where was you, where was this one taking place? The Philippines. 
And which interestingly enough was the exact same place that I went on a mission. I drove through little villages that I had been as a Mormon missionary wow. 15 years before. You have notes on that. You went for two years, right? Yeah. Wow. So is that, would, would this feel a little extra special, even though maybe obviously you want to win, but did you kind of think, wow, this, this is just speaking to me a bit? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I, cause it, the fact that it was like the exact location where I had lived two years was crazy. And it wasn't going to help me other than that. I was a little familiar with the terrain. Cause it's not like you come in contact with uh, right. natives that are, you're able to speak their language. That doesn't matter. Cause you're not coming in contact with anybody like that really. Right. And so uh, it did a little bit, but at the same time, I also knew that people were threatened by me and that I probably wasn't going to last long. And looking back, having conversations after that season, a lot of people did want me gone first and uh, and I was able to change the tide of that and move it a different direction. But I, it was unbeknownst to me. I just was like, I'm just here to party. I'm not going to play. I don't really give a shit. And people. But so did you speak. guys lock up 24 grand? Is it the same situation? 12 and 12 in that spot? Or yeah. is it 12 yes. Or, yes. So we already had 24,000 locked up. You go there. Are we worried about her mindset at all? And like her being able to handle it? Yeah, a little bit. But I also knew that you just rely on the group and it's fine as long as you're trying to help the group uh, when you can. And so I wasn't concerned with her. She was a little bit, but she says now that the most shocking thing for her in those moments was the fact that, uh, was the fact that there were so many camera guys like the opening shot when you walk out onto the beach and the host Jeff Probst is there, there's hundreds of people standing behind him, photographers, video, VIPs, CBS executives. There's a ton of people out there. And so, and I didn't even think to tell her that I just like assumed that it's a TV show. Uh, so she was like, you never told me that there were hundreds of people standing there. I was like, I didn't even think to tell you That's that. That's interesting. I didn't really realize that. I guess you just wouldn't think of that. Uh, how does that impact ment mentality? Does that make you feel a little more safe and like part like, Hey, if stuff's there versus like, just get dusted into the wild and you're like, can't see anyone. Do you see people at like almost all times around you? Like, yeah. cause there's cameras in front of you. Right. I mean, so yes. like, that's gotta be a little reassuring if you're in the middle of Brazil or Samoa or Philippines and you know, you just worried like someone's going to come out of the woodwork and, and you just got no one to talk to or ask like an emergency. That, yeah. I guess that does take a little bit of the, it takes a lot off actually. Yeah. Like you start feeling like it's a set, like you don't even feel like you're in the wild to a certain degree. Like I was getting up in the middle of the night in Brazil to there's like the, a larger population of poisonous snakes in Brazil than there is almost anywhere else in the world. <laughs> and I was just like walking out barefooted in the middle of the night to, to tinkle and not even given two thoughts about it. And and so, yeah, there it is. And, but I, in some instances, it's a so, false sense of security in that you are in the wild. It's just all these people out there make it feel like it's almost not. Is there, was there on any of the three, or I guess it's going to be four uh, times you were there, was there, did you see anything crazy? Like someone get bit by a snake or like, was there any emergencies that you can? Yeah. I mean, there was crew members that had been bit by a snake. Uh, the craziest thing that I saw was uh, on my first season, we sat down next to the fire and it was dusk. We couldn't see very well. And we all had these rocks that were about like shoulder height. So you could lay on them and it would like keep your neck exactly level. And I, one of the girls went to put her head down on a rock and she was like inches from the rock. And she said, 
uh, there's a snake coiled around this rock. And they had a snake expert rush in, flash a light on it. It was a coral snake. And if she would have gotten bit on the face or the neck or something by a coral snake, she probably would not have survived that. And she was literally a handful of inches away from that snake. So the snake guy came in with snake tongues, picked it up, put it in a pillowcase, wrapped it up, drove it out to the middle of nowhere. And so that on Brazil, that's what would happen. So if you saw a snake in camp, they would clear the entire camp, look through everything. And then if they found something, they'd pull it. If not, they'd just be on high alert for a little while. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that is uh like you said, a little false security. It's got to make mentally just kind of relax a little more, but that is, you're in the middle of like the middle of it. Like you're in the heart of uh, nature and that is scary. Cause you know, listen, you get bit by a snake and you got people sucking out of your neck when you get bit by a poison, poison animal in the middle of nowhere. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty in- intense. I mean, what about other seasons? Have you heard any other, not that you saw, but was there any kind of like some kind of wild scenario like that, that you know of or any, and I'm sure in the seasons there's been some crazy shit that's happened. Yeah. I think in a different season, in a season in France, like a French season, the French version of Survivor, somebody drowned. Oh, sure. Uh, Actually, yeah. Well, and then, uh, and then in any of the ocean ones, you always see like sharks and stuff out there once in a while. And so you'll bump into that stuff. Uh, Nothing too dangerous that I've heard of other than, than, you know, stuff like that. And that's, I mean, but you could see a shark on vacation. So. Right. Okay. But so, so again, this, I mean, there's so many topics. I mean, we're already an hour and a half in. I want to take some questions on Twitter. There's, I guess I'd tell you, I just had a feeling there's just so many, your, your life and the stuff you've done and kind of past and different things you've, you've dove into. It's pretty interesting, but tell me about the feeling of winning and, and how did it, how did it, how did your, how did your girlfriend do it? What place did she get? So my girlfriend went out pretty early and the whole premise of the show was that if you got voted out, your loved one would have the option of switching places with you on a Redemption Island type scenario, which Redemption Island gave you the chance to win your way back into the show. Interesting. So uh, they voted Rachel out. They targeted her specifically on the opposite tribe, hoping that I would step down from my position in my tribe on the other side to switch places with her. And it made sense strategically. It was honestly like the only move they could have done because, uh, me and my girlfriend probably had the biggest gap between challenge prowess of all the competitors on the show though. So they were thinking, okay, we'll vote somebody out who's not the weakest at challenges, but definitely not the strongest and hope that the strongest person on the other side switches places with her. And then we get rid of the strongest person. on right, that. So if they had knocked her out, she would have just switched with you. Right. Is that the thought you're saying or no, or would she not have, if, if they had voted her out, it, but they did vote her out. So they voted her out. They voted you out. She would have voted me out. She could have switched with me and I would have had to take her place on her tribe. Mm. So it uh, honestly, strategically, it doesn't make sense to switch with anybody because you don't know the dynamic of that tribe on that side. So even if, if I would have switched places with her, she would have come to a tribe that I had built alliances with, not that she had built alliances with. So who's to say chances are, uh, that if you switched with your loved one, your loved one would just be the next one voted out. And then you'd be doubly mad that you switched places with him in the first place. Right. So, so, so she goes out and now what you go. And then you just like, was this one, you said this was, it's kind of funny. You had the cavalier attitude, nonchalant. You're really there for her almost. And just to go and have a little bit of fun. When did you turn it to like, I'm going to win this. So she got voted out and it pissed me off. And 
I was like, okay, I'm just going to get my revenge on everybody. I'm going to wreak havoc. And, uh, and then also part of me was like, I have to now win to make it worth not switching with her. So she didn't want to switch with me. She was like, you're better at this stuff and you're in a good position. I don't know what your position is over there, but I'll never know even if I switch with you. So you just play your game over there and I'll figure it out over here. Cause she still had a chance to win her way back in the game. Uh, she just had to, you know, uh, do some challenges and stuff. And she ended up not winning her way back in the game. But around that point, I started buckling down a little bit. And then as I inched closer and closer to the finish line and it became more of reality, I mean, I would be that much more serious. And there was actually a point where I had like a stranglehold on the game, just like by its throat. And I wasn't letting anybody talk to anybody. And I wasn't like, so I was shutting down all conversation and making sure that my alliance was not ever talking to the uh, other alliance and we had the majority. And so, and I was policing every conversation. And at some point, somebody in production uh, said, Hey, can you let some conversations happen? And I was just like, nah, I can't. And they're like, sorry, bro. Yeah. For a million here. And they're like, we, we need it because it's going to be boring for viewers if we don't at least have conversations about flipping the script. And I was like, yeah, but you allow those conversations. And then all of a sudden somebody flips the script and they're like, you, ha- you have to, you have to let go for a second so we can get these conversations. I was like, mm, I'm not going to, I'm sorry. Like I, I wish I could help you, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Well, let what, so that was it. You just said, you just, you just yeah, uh, said, I have a stranglehold on this thing. And if I loosen my grip, it's going to wriggle free and I'm not going to get it. Yeah. You tell so, them, listen, write me a check, guarantee me a million. And I'll let <laughs> yeah. And then I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> we can really party. Um, so, all right. So you yeah. lock it up, you get it done. And then down the stretch, you do. Sh- can you give me the payouts again? Give me like five through one. Uh, five through one. So first place, a million dollars. Second place, 100K plus the 10K. Uh, so first place, a million dollars plus the 10K. Second place, 100K plus the 10K. What 10K? What's the plus 10K? 10K is the guaranteed. Okay. But the guaranteed is that you'll show up to the live finale. So if you show up to the live finale, you get 10K. All right. So, and that's for everybody. Uh, third place, uh, 85K plus the 10K. Uh, fourth place, maybe like 75 and fifth place, like 65. Wow. So it is a huge sweat. The million, it's like, it's like daily fantasy winning the million versus second. It's just yeah. everything. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So man, so you, so what was the feeling when you actually won it? And and I forget how it is. Is it like, is it a challenge or like when it gets heads up, what is the actual way to decide the winner? So there's three people usually as the finalists okay. and the people you voted out vote for who wins the milli. So, so they become the jury and then you get to plead your case to the jury and then they vote one of you three as the winner of the million dollars. So there's still a lot of luck there too, right? You have to stab people in the back, but laying down gently enough that they're still willing to vote for you to win the milli. That seems like a lot to go right. That's a real balancing act right there. So that's, yeah. So, but, but so when they're voting, how did you feel in that spot when it goes down to, so shows the show over at three, that's how it works and there's yep. voting then? Yep. So you get down to three and now you're either getting a million nine or essentially let's call it a hundred just to make it easy between second and third. It's essentially yeah. the same. So what are you thinking when, how, how much time is in between that? When that, then once you get down to three, do they, you find out the next day, is there another thing? Or Life finale. Oh, oh, it's it. it. The show's over. The show's over. So you go, three, you go three, you sit down in front of all these people. They're asking you questions. You're answering them. Then they go and vote. 
Then as soon as uh, Jeff Probst goes, grabs the votes, uh, and then he comes back and he's like, okay, thanks everybody. We'll see you in New York for the live finale or LA for the live finale, wherever it's going to be. And then show's over. Then all of a sudden, all the camera guys jump out and they're like, that's a wrap. Thanks everybody. That was awesome. If you're one of the finalists, you're all dirty. You're standing up, shaking people's hand, giving people hugs, uh, wondering if you won or not. And, uh, only like one guy supposedly knows how the votes are until that night, which is, can be months or even a year later. Uh, how, how was that? How was that experience? So you got to be on the cloud nine. Like you, you roll out, you're, you're rolling out of here, Philippines. This is where you did a, a mission. You, you know, you your top three. one at that point going into the last tribal council. I wasn't, I was feeling like kind of iffy, like maybe I'll win, maybe I won't. But then at tribal council, like the other two finalists, kind of botched it to be honest and all the people in the jury were just like tyson you're awesome so at that point i was kind of like i feel like i won this and wow. so i was i was like 90 to 95 percent sure i had won a million dollars at that so, point. so how was it though like so still you basically think you got it. I mean, it's sort of like uh november 9 right like you got you finish you make the final table it's over now you gotta wait and like come back well so what was it like when they called it up on stage nine with half the chips that's yeah. what like yeah exactly or yeah three-handed with half the chips or 80 percent of the chips or whatever yeah, exactly. uh 90 percent. so what was that like though when they called your name did you like was it like do you remember that feeling because this is oh, huge still you I can still get snubbed yeah. you can still yeah. get effed it still isn't in your bag uh, uh what how, what was the feeling when they like right before was it just like you were just What's like the most money you've ever won jeff uh 414,000. yeah it felt like double that right two and a half that feeling okay <laughs> <laughs> where you're just like it like part of you is just like everything's gonna be okay like you're like i i have, i know that things are gonna be okay from here on out financially like i can pay whatever debts i can afford to do stuff i have money to invest i can and and it's for some reason and that on top of winning a show that i had tried to win for the, like four or five years already at that point and so there was a huge weight lifted off my shoulder in that capacity as well and also me saying i know i can win this show and proving to myself that i could win this show there's a lot emotionally and financially involved in it and it was like a huge relief and uh release and closure like it was so many things and i don't think that uh a lot of people who've only played the game once and even only played the game once and won don't know that feeling of losing the game multiple times before finally winning it. Right. And, and yeah. And so how was that? How happy was, uh, with your, so you're, this is in 2013. So you went on the show afterward, right? But this is your girlfriend at the time or no? Yes. When did you meet your now wife? Yeah. This is my girlfriend who is now my wife. And I met her in 2008 before I went on my first season. And then she went on the show with me and then we won. Uh, yeah. We won that season 2013. So. And where did you guys meet? We met through some mutual friends in Utah when we were living in Utah. And yeah, so yeah, it was good. And then uh, at that point, I and then after that, I went on marriage boot camp and was just kind of doing like odds and ends. Got into poker uh, through Jason Somerville and the Run It Up events and stuff, yep. and was doing uh, a lot of stuff like that. And and for me, I'm fortunate. Like I've played the game four times. I've turned it into kind of a career. I've been able to use it as a as a catalyst for a lot of my other projects 
and uh, it's given me a lot of opportunities, but it's not like all those doors have just been open for me. It's like, I've kind of like made that happen and for utilized sure. uh, my experiences and time on survivor to it, get into it, some other stuff. It's, it's very interesting. You say, and how you, like you say, you've been on these other shows, like, is it public information? What that marriage show pays is everyone get the same thing or is there's no winner, right? Is it just there's like no winner? So you just negotiate a fee and based on how famous you are, you get paid. Uh-huh. Or less. Interesting. So, okay. So that's interesting. And now uh, what, what, what I don't get under, I don't understand that the last survivor, you do get called back for winners at war. So this is all winners. Yeah. How was that compared to the other? How much more difficult? I see you got 11th. Well, where, where did that one take place? That one was in uh, Fiji. That was in Fiji last year. And difficult wise, it's not, it's not different as far as gameplay goes difficulty it's not but it is different in the fact that it's all returning players and there's a lot more egos involved and a lot more even like jealousy like can you imagine like phil helmuth going and sitting at a table and not having everyone want to get him out that's just like that's how it is if you're a big survivor player a big survivor personality everybody there wants you out no matter what just based on like jealousy and your reputation yeah and getting a second win's pretty sick who who actually won that one uh tony tony yeah and and uh so okay and uh the last question i want to ask about survivor and i know let me know if we have to literally do no questions we're already hour 45 i got a lot more i want to ask and i do want to take at least one or two so I'm, i'm sure you know I, uh, I, I, but, uh, tell me about like when you get knocked out, what that experience is like, cause you can't leave right, right. for until the show's over. So how much, right. how, what's the max time? Someone who goes out 20th, how long are they actually there hanging out? They are going to be there. So they are usually there probably about, uh, close to two weeks where they have to stay at, they call it Ponderosa and it's the pregame camp where you arrive before the game started so you go back there sometimes it's like a little resort thing sometimes it's just a camp set up with tents and stuff uh in fiji it's a little resort place that has like an an open bar and then you can get whatever food you want and stuff and you fill out a questionnaire about all your favorite foods and they make sure to have all those favorite foods for you when you get voted out um and so if you're in 20th place you go spend those weeks and every three days somebody else comes out from the game and then when there's about half the people out, maybe like eight people out or something, the jury starts to form. So you, the first people voted out aren't part of the jury. So uh, once the, once everyone that's pre jury is out of the game, they send them on a, uh, what would it be called? Uh, Just a trip. They send them on a trip to like, stay away from everybody. Right. And, uh, and so, Yeah, that that's what happens. So I think the so then like, for example, like in Samoa, uh, Boston, Rob and myself got voted out pre jury and they sent us to Sydney, Australia for a handful of weeks till the show was finished. And then it's all expense paid trip to wherever my wife, when she got voted out early, they sent her from from the Philippines to Thailand to go on vacation with the rest of the pre jury, which is fun. You get a cool vacation, but you're also on vacation with a bunch of bitter people from the show who got voted out early. So it's not always like a super 
positive experience because everybody, especially if you have a couple enemies out there that all got voted out pre-jury and then there's a lot of fighting on the trip and it's, yeah, it's a an show. Interesting dynamic all of a sudden. What yeah. is, uh, is there any story like after that though, or is it comfortable? You don't, do you watch TV and stuff? Do you have, you can't be on your phone, right? Or so what do they do with social oh, media now and stuff? They, you just they take to- your phones. They take everything away from you. You'd have no access to the internet. And then they have like a TV set up with, uh, with like a thousand DVDs to choose from. And then they have like a PlayStation and an Xbox and stuff. You can play video games if you want. They have a whole library of books you can choose from to read. And then you can go on day trips. Uh, you can go snorkeling and play in the ocean. They make it pretty pleasant after that. Yeah, it's a vacation. And, and, uh, what show like amazing race, for example, do you, do you like that show? Is there any shows if you survivor, you're sort of the guy now you've been at four times. What's what's the most anyone's done? Is it four? Has anyone been on more? Yeah. Rob's been on five. All right. And, and do you see more in the future? Is this some, is this show, is this, does this have a shelf life or is survivor going for the next 80 years? Uh, I think that it's with the, the host, Jeff Probst, uh, he, I think he's going to like, he'll be the deciding factor of when it ends in the fact that like he is survivor essentially. And so when he goes, I think it will be a little trickier to keep it on the air. They'll have to find a perfect replacement for him and maybe like do something, maybe not with the format of the show, but end the show uh, for a, a spell and then bring it back. Because I think that there's a lot of people that are excited about it and will be excited about it. But I think there will also be some disappointment when Jeff Probst leaves. Interesting. He's got that. He's like Alex Trebek. He's just yes, that he's the Alex Trebek of Survivor. Correct. That's that strong of a presence. Yeah, that's uh, have you seen all the survivors now? Uh Probably most of them, maybe not all of them, but I've seen most of the seasons or am familiar with how things shook out and stuff. But I've watched uh, I watch all of them now, but I don't think I've seen all the old ones. There's like the dark ages of Survivor where there was like a handful of garbage seasons back to back to back. And so nobody really talks about those or brings those up or watches them. Yeah. Season one was pretty incredible. I got to say that was a, that was a show. Just the fact of being the first, right. And it was so unique and interesting. And yeah, I think that, 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 uh, I do want to watch them. I got to go back and check it. Where's the best place to watch them. If you want to go look at them, can you get them on, on uh, Netflix or where do you get to see it? Yeah. So on prime, Amazon prime, you can see quite a few of them. Netflix just started showing some of the seasons. I think they have three seasons on Netflix. You can see, uh, CBS all access is like $6 a month. You can watch all of them there. Nice. Uh, And Hulu, I think, has quite a few of them, too. All right. I see a question here. We'll do a couple. And if you got a jam, let me know. I do want to talk pickleball because that's fastest growing sport in America. I feel bad. I ordered some paddles and you told me that's your you got you are like Mr. Pickleball. We got to hit that uh, before we leave. So and real quick, this question about Survivor. Can you have them go into detail about how to make a good video to apply? So you gave kind of walk through this process at the beginning, but give me like a bit, just like the initial video sort of idea, like what you think would work now, what's sort of like the type of thing you should be looking so, at. Survivor is all personality. Like that is what they're looking for. A good backstory is great. A unique life experiences are great too, but that is what forms your personality essentially. So what they're looking for is the personality. They're looking for somebody who can be completely honest with who they are and what's in their head to a camera, because that's what makes good TV is, is honesty. That's what's relatable. So if you can uh, exude your maximum personality and uh, showcase that and be raw and open and honest. That's what they like. 
And so uh, don't spend time with theatrics. Don't spend time with like some gimmick or anything like that. Literally sitting how we are and just saying, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, I'm Tyson. I'm from Utah, born and raised Mormon. I'm 41. I'm not really Mormon anymore, but whatever. I don't really care about it that much. Uh, went on a Mormon mission, swam in college. Anyways, here's why I think I'd be good for the show. And, you know, delve into some of that stuff. Like, for example, it's just kind of like, hey, I've been pulled over hundreds of times, literally gotten a speeding ticket. Only one of all those times, always talk my way out of it. Like, I think that's a talent I have is talking my way out of tight spots. And I've always defused things with humor. I'm pretty punchable, but I've never been punched. And part of that is because I always diffuse the situation after I escalate it. Like something like along those lines where you're giving life experiences and reasons as to why you would win, not just saying you'll win, but proving how and why you would win. Does it help to have any type of, uh, I, I guess, cause it's like thinking about it from JRB, uh, Ronnie Barda, Garrett guys that have like some sort of known presence at all. Like, are they looking for people that are sort of known or makes no difference or a little mixture? Like what's their formula? They mostly don't want people that are known. It's yeah. I, I think there a point where you're too well known, like you couldn't get on the show if you wanted to, or is that uh, no, but I think that a lot of people aren't willing to take five weeks off. Like if you're a famous actor, can you afford to take five weeks off and go play? Exactly. Yeah. It's actually kind of, I was going to ask you that too, about your kids. How is that when you go away for five weeks with the guy? How did you do that with, uh, when you and your, your, uh, girlfriend are at the, okay. Cause yeah, could you couldn't really, you, it's difficult now, right. To go yeah. away. And so this last time I did, I had, I have my two kids and, uh, one of them was, uh, one of them turned four while I was out there and one of them wasn't even one. And so, uh, that was, uh, that's a tricky age with kids to leave like that because the four-year-old has no concept of time. Like me saying, I'm going to be gone for almost two months. Doesn't mean she doesn't comprehend what two months is, how long 55 days is, whatever, you know? And so that's hard. And I knew that was going to be hard. And then the one-year-old, it's like, is she even going to remember me after two months when I come back? And, and that was like really difficult. It would be much easier to go with older kids who understood what I was doing uh, or no kids at all. And so that was tricky. Although uh, one of my demands to go back on the show was actually to, uh, uh, have my four-year-old be my loved one's visit out there. So we got my four-year-old daughter did come out to Fiji and visit me on TV. Very cool. That's well, that helps a bit. Yeah. Cause that is tricky. I can't imagine. Let's, let's uh, rapid fire a couple of things here. Twitch. You do have a Twitch. Uh, you do some streaming. Yeah. So Boston, Rob and myself do, uh, channel called Rob versus Tyson. We play survivor trivia on there. We play some among us, uh, which is fun to watch Rob navigate video games because he is not a techie guy. And then we, uh, we also host our own uh, online strategy, social game called uh, expedition online. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, And I actually, we are doing that tonight. So you could visit us tonight. Uh, and then, yeah, so we've been doing that. We've been grinding and, uh, working on that. It's been going pretty good and we're going to plan on adding more and more content. We're just kind of getting going and dipping our toe in the Twitch waters. I know you've been there for a long time. Uh, so we're just testing the waters and trying to do some new stuff on there that hasn't been done before. And, uh, and yeah, 
I just added you on Twitch. I can't believe I, I knew you did it a little bit. I, I didn't know you were doing it more consistently. So I just added you and I will check that out. You said you're going on tonight? Tonight, yeah. They're they're already live right now. I think with uh, the reunion show, we gave $1,000 away to the winner of Expedition Online and we're going to run a second season of it. That's amazing. Well, I will check that out. I'm actually going to stream a charity event here at, right as soon as we're done too tonight. And then you have a the the website. Look at that. You're looking That's out. Right. You're doing pickleball poker in nature. That's a nice nice combo. Looks like you got some gear and you yeah. actually have uh, some some rackets and such. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. I feel sad because I did just order return uh, so i'm gonna get more and i'm gonna give gifts and i want tell me what people can do what should they do because pickleball is amazing yeah so you go to uh gamma gamma sports.com okay and uh at checkout plug in tyson 20 and you'll get 20 percent off everything so that hellbender is the their newest paddle that's what i play with i love it uh and uh but all there's a lot of different paddles this is a paddle that's like a pretty good balance of power and touch i know a lot of poker guys are getting into pickleball and uh and it's just getting getting bigger and bigger and so yeah. I have a, I got to get you connected with some of these, uh, some, I actually know. So the, uh, have you ever been in Cabo? Have you been to El Dorado or do you know, yeah. like Chileno Bay and some place? So I know some guys that are developing places. They're so obsessed with pickleballs. They make stadiums at all their places. And that's what, yes. like, I, I have a, this, I hate saying stuff like this. Cause it honestly sounds, it sounds pretty, uh, it sounds bad. I think like, it's a kind of a name drop, like whatever. But I went, so I went to Bill's 50th birthday on yeah. Necker Island. Okay. Yep. And Richard Branson's Island, he was there during this, happened to be there. He's there sometimes on the island. I was talking with him a bit. There was a tennis tournament. It was a lot of fun. And I started chatting with him. And then I've been emailing with him a little bit. And he was getting – he wanted to bring pickleball to Necker Island. And he actually asked me for – like, or, you know, one of his, and then he, and I got in touch with one of his team there and they were asking me about pickleball. So I was like, look, I played, I know, you know, the, they built these at these places. I know my friends done them, blah, blah, blah. I need to connect you. Cause they're looking for like, in terms of the gear, the rackets, I know you're the expert. I gotta, you know, we got to get you to Necker Island is what I'm trying to say. We got to get set up a pickleball tournament and, and get out there. Cause I, I know you're the guy, you are the pickleball master. The foremost pickleball influencer on the internet. And that is true. Uh, That's true. And it's the fastest growing sport in America. Hank Haney, Tiger Woods, former golf coach. He's the one who first told me about it. I played him in person at uh, one of these places and he just swears by it. And he'll tell me it's the fastest growing sport in America. And I hear about it. I see it. Shout out to Hank Haney, Meldman, Discovery Properties and Pickleball. And Tyson, I'm going to buy, I will use your stuff. I'm going to order some rackets for the holidays for someone because you just got to do it. You just It's just a great sport, great exercise. It's fun. It's less abrasive and crazy than tennis you know it's one of those things with like your girlfriend or your wife that you know if you, that you can play with them like tennis it's, yeah. it's a little too crazy here it's like able to kind of play i feel like more and like it's tennis. All about the fast game yes pickleball is all about the slow game till you get your opportunity to speed the game up and so it's a lot of patience and then a kill very it's beautiful uh i want to can we do a couple i know you got to go we're two hours tyson tell me how many questions we can take because there's a lot but i'll, I'll you, you call the magic number and we're going to cut it off there because i can't quit you you got to quit me okay let's do two and then i got to take off you got it okay uh i got i got 10 minutes left okay um oh, so right right at the top most difficult challenge in your life in my life yeah and that's you, tricky. We're going deep Tyson. Yeah, are going deep because there's a lot. I mean, kids are a challenge. They're long there. That's like the, the long challenge kind of every day. It's a little challenging to some degree, but it's also super rewarding. Uh, 
most difficult challenge. Pro cycling was hard too. Uh, but I think like, man, I don't know. I think for me, the most difficult challenge of my life was quitting pro cycling. It, and that was just because I knew how much I'd put into it and I knew what my potential was and I didn't feel like I'd reached my potential, but I didn't know that if I could reach my potential just because it was so physically and mentally demanding. Right. And so that was a battle that I, a year and a half, I raced thinking how and if I could quit this sport and then finally convinced myself that I would quit for a little while and come back to it. And I never came back to it. And, uh, in, in that moment, it was really hard, I would say. Uh, but looking back and watching pro racing now, I do miss the racing, but I do not miss all the stuff you don't see, right. like all behind the scenes travel, all the work that has to be put into it, uh, everything else. So uh, that probably was the most challenging thing. I would have to imagine to a lot great experience, right? To be young and travel across Europe and team aspect. And, yeah. you know, you probably a lot of good memories and, and people, cool people you met uh, in that time. Um, all right. This question I like too. what, which needs more luck for winning poker or survivor. Let's just take a comparable field size of like a 20 person tournament. Uh, I think, uh, I think it, it depends because survivor, you may only get one shot at it your entire life. And I think that Survivor, if it's field size only, I mean, it's not comparable even because a 20-person tournament isn't going to last 39 days, you know? So uh, I think a uh, Survivor is definitely going to take more luck because it's long and drawn out and longer, and there's more variables with the all the advantages and the personalities. And sur I think especially at higher stakes poker or when you're playing with a lot of experienced players uh they all play within certain parameters for the most part as far as like what hands they're playing pre-flop from what position etc and so with survivor you're playing with all these personalities and some of them have no strategic chops or don't care about that and are just playing emotional or whatever. And you have to, all of that is much different and much more difficult to navigate. So I think it's a uh, it, survivor requires a lot more luck. Makes sense. Tyson 12 or Tyson 20 for that promo code. Tyson 20 for that promo code. That yep. is for this year, guys. So again, pickleball, if you haven't got it, check it out. A lot of areas they have pickleball courts. You'd be surprised. You might think I haven't heard of this, but might be at your local tennis or, you know, they're, it's everywhere. Popping up, they're popping up literally, literally everywhere. Uh, all right. I want to do it. Well, guys, Tyson, will see. He sees you on Twitter. He can read through some of these. Maybe he'll hopefully answer some. I'm sorry we didn't spend more time here. I get got fired up. Tyson's got the he's got everything of the makings of a reason. Been on Survivor multiple times. Being on the podcast multiple times, that would be that would be nice to we'll wait until you maybe you win the next Survivor. I mean, you think you'll be on another? Is that a likely scenario at this point? I mean, it's hard to turn down a one in a twenty shot at a million dollars. It is uh, it is hard to say yes, but it's it would be harder to say no at this. Is point, it harder for you to do now though because you've got like you've you've got your business site, you've got some incomes, you do other stuff, you have your family. That five weeks is not easy, right? And like your young kids as well to do it, and like it's a real five weeks is not a joke. And right? I you know, I'm not as physically fit. I'm not a, you know, I don't rebound from stuff like that. Like I used to. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot, it's definitely takes its toll on me more than it did in the past. But I think, I think if they wanted me back and the timing was right and the circumstances correct, I could go back one or two more times. 
you'd get in there, right? You're not going to say no. Um, that's uh, how can you? So, all right, I'm going to copy this link and I'm going to let you tell me someone's going to win a $111 uh, ticket from party. You're eligible Tyson. So you tell me when, uh, when, all right, well, things don't work. Technology's hard. Okay. It didn't work. We had a, oh, let me try this. I'll try this one. Didn't work. I'm going to do a different one. We're going to do it. Someone's going to win $111. I can tell you that one way or the other. I'll find a way. I'll just pick someone if I have to, but hold on. That was the first time that didn't happen. Let me go here. Let me try it again. And let's try this one. There's always backups, Tyson. We got to, just like if you had said no, they're going to go to someone else. The show has to go on. If you don't make it, if you say you can't come, someone's going on Survivor. All right, let's do it. You tell me when again. I'm going to try this one. One more time. Ready now. All right. This one looks like it's loading. There's a lot of interaction, a lot of engagement. It is going, this is a good tool for you. This is a Twitch. Treat. Like it. uh, yeah, seen it. It's a, you take the tweets, you take the, you take the URL and then you could do a giveaway within it. And then you go to here. There's actually this or another one. This is the, the other one I prefer, but this is called competition agency. Go to tweet okay. draw. And then based on anyone who engaged, we pick the winner and they're going to load up and here it is. One, two, three user is right here. And boom, Joe Gall. Joe Gall, congrats, dude. He hasn't won it before. 111 ticket, courtesy of, I spelled that wrong, uh, Tyson. I'm going to message him in a second. We're going to leave that aside. I want to say goodbye to you. I also want to say about poker that you are, uh, what's your poker playing these days? And are you looking for a deal, a sponsorship? What's the deal? Are we going to, are we going to see you representing a brand? Can, Cause you were kind of on a bend, poker bender. We were in Reno. Yeah. You know, I got to shout out Jason Somerville. The reason I know you and brought up Reno, what an event COVID's crazy. Uh, what's your poker appetite these days? I've been playing some online poker, just staying sharp and also doing some studying. And I'm always open for some sponsorship. You know that, uh, Jeff. And, uh, I, I mean, with the weird 2020 that it is, I prefer to play live than online because I think my personality uh, goes a long way, even at the poker table. And uh, I have fun live playing. And that's what, like, that's the reason I got into it in the first place is for enjoyment. And uh, so, yeah, I, I will get back out there in the poker streets. I haven't been as present just because 2020 got in the way, but as soon as everything is, is good to go again, I will definitely be out there. Um, and yeah. And then, uh, other things I got coming up, uh, I do the VIP game nights. I don't know if you're aware of those where I play, uh, game nights with fans and that's on VIP game nights.com. And I just released a new year's Eve game that we're going to be playing among us with fans on new year's Eve. So if you want to celebrate new year's Eve with me, it might be on VIP game nights right now and it might not, but I think it is somewhere. Maybe not. Uh, but you can have a look there. There's only going to be nine seats available. So that's going to sell out pretty quick. And then next week I am playing trivia with a uh, host, Jeff Platt for toys for children this holiday season. And so, uh, you can, uh, join and play trivia and donate money to give to uh the cause and make sure that uh kids who are less fortunate will also uh have an exciting and memorable christmas this year amazing that's that is that is very cool not to be confused with jeff probes jeff blatt also does a great job hosting he's been burst on the poker scene and and mixing it up so shout out to jeff and uh tyson man always always a pleasure again i feel like i could talk to you for hours i just uh not didn't even get to to dive into a lot of my my i feel my dad's questions were so fiery man let's see he, he gave me a couple. what's that 
I said you had to get to all your dads, dude. I, I, I just want to read one. Just, okay, let's hear just, it. Can I read one? Yeah. All right. This is, this is I, I, he said, do you have any shame? You willingly creating lies and seem to have no remorse. Where did this attitude come from? And then question mark, you're a Mormon exclamation point. Just hearing this out of, out of my dad's mouth makes me like, honestly, like I, it, it's so wild. I'm going to have to call him. It is his birthday. I told you, I got to talk to him and say, dad, listen, it's a game. This is how games work. This is also why my dad's not a great poker player. He doesn't have that gear to shift yeah. it up and, and go, for it, you know, like no. he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't check raise me, for example. So, you know, there's, yeah. So can you maybe check raise you once he got check raised enough, he would eventually check raise. Right. That's right. the thing. That's how this is. I mean, we could send him out on Survivor the first time. Somebody, somebody close to him would slit his own throat. He'd be pissed and he'd go back out for blood and vengeance. That and that's the way. T-show. He knows this guy, T-Show. He's a very good guy. They're friends, but can't play with him. The poker table It's too yeah. intense for him. So you're right. This is what he needs. He needs like some very tough love, very tough experience. I think he would, he could, he could sharpen up a bit. So, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you have to separate the game from real life. And, and that's just like. Some people aren't built for it and some people are too kind and aren't willing to take that step to win that game. But like, if you are committing yourself to going out there, you may as well win the game. Right. Yes. I got it. I can I ask one more. Honestly, yeah. I can't even believe these. I have to call them after this. I, this is, these are crazy. These questions I think are what people want on podcasts. Like, very, <laughs> here, like here we go. All right. Uh, professional athlete background. You were on a swimming athletic scholarship at BYU, and then you became a professional cyclist after college, quote, not graduating. What other sports have you played? Were you really talented or you just work hard or lie your way under the team? All right. I'm dead. I'm embarrassed for you. This is, this is, this this guy's a crusher. He's a survivor champion. My dad loves survivor. I think he's, he's a, I got to tell him how much I I really do appreciate you as a person. Cause like, these are, these are intense questions. I like, I, I mean, I honestly, I get questions like this. Uh, These aren't the first questions like this. I don't have it in me to ask something like that. And I don't believe, well, also I know you, so I can't like, I feel like asking, like this is like this genuine what i believe you know because i know you're a great guy so like when i ask you a question like i couldn't just sit here and like cold face ask you like that like that question which is that's the thing is like the the safety net of like text and social media and stuff really makes it easier for people to be bold and ask bold questions which is good can be good um uh athletics wise i was always i we went over this earlier i was always gifted with endurance, but that was it. And I had to work hard for all the other stuff. So like soccer, I was great at soccer. Uh, but it was my endurance where like I could play a full game without have to take, without having to take an out and it could run the whole field. No problem. Nonstop the whole game. Uh, baseball was the same. Like I just hustled and kept hustling. Uh, but then the sports like cycling is an endurance sport. So I did have to hone some skills, but cycling and swimming kind of were more my speed. I was a distance swimmer. So I just had to learn technique and my body was built for just going at 80% for as long as I could versus going a hundred percent for a short period of time. Very, very cool. All right. Well, Tyson, I do appreciate the time, man. This was a lot of fun. I hope we get to do this again and uh, hopefully we'll be able to run it up Reno or some poker event soon. And uh, yeah, man, I, I, again, thank you for the time and, and uh, enjoy the time with the family. I, 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 two kids, congrats on that. And love that you, uh, you did get married and, and I can't wait to see you in real life after COVID, man. It's been too long. So thank you so much. And pickleball, I'm going to work at, I'm, I'm definitely a little rusty. I'm a little I need to get a little better before we play, but I do feel like it's a fun game and we can battle a bit in the future. That'll be good too.
Yeah, for sure. Okay, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Say hi to your dad for me. And, uh, and thank you. I can't wait to see you in person. Tyson, can you wish my dad a happy birthday today? Yeah, it is his birthday, huh? What's yeah. his name? Richard. Happy, happy birthday, Richard, dear. Happy days will come to you all year. If I had a wish, then it would be a happy, happy birthday to you from me. Wow. What a sport. All right, dad, you hear that? You can't, you gotta, that, you gotta realize he's a good guy, man. Come on. That's, that's unbelievable. All right, Tyson, thank you so much. And uh, we'll chat soon, man. Thanks okay. a lot. Take care. See you, man. All right, guys, that was Tyson Apostle, survivor champion, and also plays poker. He's going on a stream. Check him out. We put that there. You got the, the pickleball. If you want the rackets, Tyson 20 is a code. We had that website up as well. And uh, I am going to be on live on Twitch here for a charity event with, James Blake and Lasso very soon. So join me on Twitch and or join Tyson. Join somebody. Go on Twitch. We'll see you guys a little later. Thanks for watching. More podcasts to come. Appreciate you guys. That was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.